0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 120. I am one of your hosts, George Tarrant, alongside the man, the myth,
1: the moving house master, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? I'm fine and dandy. I will take the master uh, uh, rating, though I would hope that it will not extend beyond that. It's now three times in three years. Um, it's getting old. Yeah. <laughs> Mind you, it's like it's. It's a good way, I guess, of spicing up your lockdowns. (laughs) True. The last two have been during lockdowns. So, you know, um, I I kind of got away with the last lockdown without actually um, really feeling it quite the same way as everybody else because I was still driving to and from the old place. And, um, Mm. uh, you know, I think technically I was allowed to do that. But um, the cops were up and down the freeway, especially (laughs) on the the weekends because the freeways are pretty quiet on the weekends during lockdown. So I didn't get pulled over, but I feel like I had a pretty good reason for it if I did. Um, I guess technically at that point you had two per- permanent residences, so... <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. I have a friend who's a, who, who works in the legal profession who was like, she was, without giving me legal advice, you know who you are, uh, was uh, quite comfortable to say that, yeah, I probably was allowed to do that. Um, mm. So, I mean, I got a little bit more... There's not, well, it still wasn't fun, um, but I still got to go and drive from place to place uh who would have yeah. thought dr- driving 10 k's from from you know in the east to be in the inner south would be uh considered a bit of a treat that's the highlight of your day <laughs> like I, I watch sometimes one of my one of my guilty is watching dash cam videos don't at me i just enjoy watching shitty drivers hey it, it's it's great watching the chaos and not being directly involved but what i and um <laughs> What I enjoy is like you have people you can I like trying to tell where people are. You know, sometimes it's funny Melbourne, mm. and I'm like, ah, I know where that is. Um, but like if you're in another state and you see them going through cool and gather or something in Queensland, you're like Do you remember do you remember when like you go driving to Cool and gather was a thing you could just do? Oh. You just, just get in the car That's now and go bad. I could drive to Having Queensland.
0: If I issues. To. Sorry. Yeah. <sighs> are
1: you back? Sorry about any bad internet. And he's frozen. Maybe he's lost the power again. Um um uh, he does disaster tends to follow this show wherever it goes. <laughs> we are the show that God cannot cancel. But That's true. I've at least got your audio. There we go, yeah. And we're we're both back in sync, I think. <laughs> I don't know what uh, I I'm gonna go out and say it's probably I don't know, it's weird. the internet should be fine. You're in a pretty pretty posh neighborhood for the time being. Um I was just well, saying, imagine, imagine the, the, um, the times where you could actually drive. Just get in your car and go, oh, drive to Queensland. And you could totally do that if you wanted to. You could just drive yeah. from this state into a different state. Crazy. If yeah. that's something you wanted to do. I
2: remember totally
0: that. Do that. And you can't do that anymore. I have um, a friend who um, is looking to – she's packed, basically packing up her whole life and she's going to be just travelling – um australia for the next six months or something was like i don't mm-hmm. know how far you can
1: get yeah that sounds <laughs> like a bad plan a very nice road trip of victoria uh, that said i i love the idea of doing that and you're getting old when you see those camper vans like you drive past them in the outer suburbs you get the big trucks of all like the, the winter baggage and you're like Ooh, that could be that would be interesting way to spend a year um but then, like, now is probably not the time for it, not in this country anyway. Um, yeah. Give it six to 12 months and surely you'll have you have a better time. At the start of this, I know there were stories about people, called grey nomads, who were stuck up in the Northern Territory.
2: That's right. Yeah, I remember hearing about them.
1: Mm, people just drive around. I mean, trust me, I, I, I could see you doing that. It's supposed to be something you would enjoy doing.
0: I, I would... To a certain point, yeah, I definitely enjoy doing that. But there's also, I, I like my little eccentricities. I like, you know, little things and pieces.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah.
2: Anyway, anyway. It's, been,
1: it's been an interesting uh, week this week. I actually had um, moving is largely done. So I had a little, it might be, I'm actually kind of sort of awake this week, uh, unlike <gasps> last week. <laughs> um, a, some might consider that a step backwards i don't know
3: um, <laughs> nothing uh, <laughs> i
1: i have had some time to myself to actually watch some stuff this weekend so um aside from just the uh just the uh the chain movie which i picked last week so mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have a more interesting show this week and maybe last week was a little bit light on for some people a very lazy 90 minutes last week ladies and gentlemen yeah we we, we half asked it or you know three quarters it I get to, anything less than two hours, like hey, fuck off. <laughs> Hashtag <laughs> like, release, release the true cut. <laughs> pretty much, like people, people are like, you know, I'm trying to sleep here while I'm listening to this show." Uh PR <laughs> quality white noise, <laughs> exactly. Uh You know, that's a very. We should go on a t-shirt as well. <laughs> Holy ladies and gentlemen, if you want those, make sure you do sound off
0: in the comments because um, we will make them and we will sell them. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, last now, week, someone
1: did, someone did suggest a show, with God, a show God Can't Cancel uh, was suggested. Yeah. Yep. God, I'm, I'm making a note, ladies and gentlemen. It's right there. Right there. The show God
0: Can't Cancel. And... Quality white noise, although that does
1: kind of sound a little bit strangely racist. <laughs> someone, you know, there was a second person today to observe that I was. I I have to listen to white noise to sleep, and someone said that was someone I was talking to today, and they know who they are. Uh, so they <laughs> thought that that was racist, and that we should be worried about white noise. And the really really weird thing is that I had to. I mean, I'd never thought about this before, um, and I've <laughs> been listening to white noise generators for years now, and I've never considered the idea that this might be considered somewhat insensitive to other... But I don't know if you can see it here, but there is white noise, brown noise, pink noise, (laughs) blue noise, and violet noise. So it's not as crazy as it seems. It's a veritable rainbow of weird high-pitched hissing noises. (laughs) Hey, if, if someone comments on it, there's a market for it. Uh Yeah, I can't. But anyway, there is a thing. It is, it's a really there are different coloured noises of a the world. There you go. There you go.
3: All
0: right. Well, with the preamble, <laughs> already <laughs> it's seven minutes into the show. Yeah, should we crack on with Dirty Harry? <laughs> yeah, let's get on with Dirty Harry because this
1: was this was a treat. You, this you was a,
3: bit of a, treat. a good
1: one. I this
0: did. Was I, awesome.
3: I, I,
1: so if, um, last week we talked about bullet. And the first thing that watching Bullet made me think of was this movie uh, okay. Dirty Harry from 1971, so three years after Bullet. Uh, mm-hmm. When a madman calling himself a Scorpio killer menaces the city, tough as now, San Francisco police inspector Dirty Harry Callahan is assigned to track down and ferret out the crazed psychopath. Famously mm-hmm. starring Clint Eastwood in one of his iconic roles as Dirty Harry, I, think, I, this is- like- I think it's the first of. Four or five? I can't exactly be sure how many Dirty Harry. It's four. Four. Four um, sequels. Uh, four sequels. So five in total, I think. Yeah. Um, the times he played Dirty Harry. Mm. Do I want to become famous? Or do you, punk? Um, <laughs> <laughs> A line so good, he said it twice. Um, directed by uh, the much underrated Don Siegel. Uh, who mm-hmm. also directed Escape from Alcatraz later about um about decade, yeah. which is also a very fine film. He 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 uh directed the nineteen fifty six version of Invasion of a Body Snatchers. Um oh, a, a really movie. great which is a great, no, I don't think it's quite as good as the nineteen seventy eight version. Um but I think we can all agree it's better than the Nicole Kidman version. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's he's a, he is as he does some kind of job here and of course our mm-hmm. link to bullet from last week was the score by Lalo Schifrin uh, Lalo, Lalo I'm not sure but my god the fucking soundtrack slaps like it's mm-hmm. really funky um it's,
3: it's
0: we we talked about it a little bit when we were talking about bullet of the kind of the level of escalation of like the the wild child cop and how cool and actually surprisingly civil um, <laughs> Steve McQueen's character of Bullet was, and then just a couple of years later you get this, and it's like, okay, I'm starting to see the evolution of the um, the hold hold nothing back cop genre because in this movie he it the it definitely escalates. There's much more action for one thing, and he is much more brazen on being. Fuck you authority. And it's it makes much more logical sense going, hello Archimedes.
1: True talent of the show is here. Yeah, well, this is what this is what people tune in to see. He's I think it- the dog and not asked.
3: <laughs> <Here> he is.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then going to um,
0: movies, you know, like the lethal weapons of the world, that sort of stuff. That this this has much more akin to the modern-day settings compared to what Bullet had. It's re- And it kind of – we wondered about it with Bullet of that kind of the
1: Godfather syndrome and obviously um, – this, this one's even worse than this one. Like I was saying, that trying to yeah. describe it to uh, somebody the other day who'd never seen it. Like, and just to follow on from what you're saying, I think this is more than the, the anti-authoritarian cop. I think this is the birth mm. of the anti-hero. Uh, right here. True. Um,
3: True. But, He's not a nice
1: man. But um, I think you're right about the, the whole idea. Of the um, you know the, the the cop who plays solo, plays by. I don't work. I work alone. I don't need a partner. You know. Um, and <laughs> screw, screw your book. We do things by the book. Screw book. You yeah, screw the book. You know, and you know, again throwing his badge yeah. away, and you know, um, giving a one liner before killing somebody a crook mm-hmm. and stuff. It's all these cliches um, uh, are rampant throughout the film, but they, of course, film invented the cliches. Like, they weren't yeah. cliches when this film was made. Um, this is probably a very different experience for filmgoers mm. in, in the early 1970s. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's interesting watching the film and going and just enjoying it purely on a filmic level. Mm-hmm. I found myself thinking, the politics of this are quite interesting, though, really, as as, as a character. Mm. As you said, Harry's not a nice man. I'm not sure he's a particularly good police officer either.
3: No, uh, he's,
0: he's not. He he like there there's a, he has a throwaway line um kind of as he's got the the new partner, Chico. And Chico's kind of trying to work out why he's got the nickname Dirty Harry, and it's like, oh, because he's a peeping dom and pervert, uh, and then he just says, Oh, it's because I do all the all the shit stuff. And like, okay. You're saying that right after having saved Jumper, so I don't know if that really qualifies as shit stuff. But you're showing you're not really showing very
1: good police work here. You're,
0: well, you're just here.
1: a rebel. You should talk a little about the plot. <laughs> we did give good. you the why why synopsis, not? Not? but um, the film opens on a stunningly photographed scene, and uh, we talked last week at Please. length about how I talked at length at least I cracked on about how beautiful Bullet was. This is mm-hmm. different, but my mm-hmm. god, it's gorgeously shot. I mean, yeah. the cinematography is incredible. The locations are incredible, and I think that's what made me think from the same thing is similar to what Bullet did, similar but different. Um, mm. But the Bullet really made those San Francisco locations feel cool, yeah. uh, dangerous. Um, where this one really does make them edgy and sexy, and and lived in and filthy and dirty, and you know. Um, yeah. And in a way, San Francisco, again, is a real character here. But the film yeah. opens with one of the most stunning shots in the film of uh, our serial killer, a crazy mm-hmm. killer, madman called, uh, calling himself Scorpio, played by Andrew Robinson. Um, not exactly a household name, but apparently he had to change his phone number after this because people were calling him and making death threats. He was oh, very shit. effective as the Scorpio killer. He was, yeah. Which is very loosely based on the Zodiac killer, I believe um mm-hmm. if you if you want to go down a rabbit hole, you can Google all that mm-hmm. shit because no one ever caught him and I do highly recommend the David Fincher film zodiac
3: it's good yeah it's good it's um,
1: it's a very measured piece that one and interestingly, Clint Eastwood mm-hmm. did base his character partially off the real life Dave Toshi, who was the police detective <laughs> played in Zodiac by Mark Ruffalo um ironically, Stephen Queen also based his character of bullet. Of Dave Tosche. Um sure. So,
3: <laughs> famous guy,
1: right? Uh, uh, and the film opens with Scorpio uh, sniping a, uh, a a young woman swimming in a, in, a, in a pool on top of a hotel from a tall building. And just, it's it's incredibly brutal scene, you know. Um, yeah. It's vicious. It's a vicious death from a distance. Mm-hmm. Um, he shoots her right in the back um, and... Um, and and you can sort of see her sort of flailing in the water for a little while um, before dying and drowning in there, and it's it's a really really brutal scene. But
3: this all is- of the
1: all of the um, uh, like damage that is
0: done to people, whether it's the victims or to Harry or to um, to the, the, the criminals throughout the movie, it's really visceral like the when harry jabs a knife in scorpio's leg that's really brutal and when scorpio is kind of crawling away from him across the football pitch and stuff he's howling in pain and again that's that level of kind of real injury it, it gets hollywoodized a lot now people can comfortably take a shot and keep going and they're like almost like the terminator as they go forwards there's not unless it's played for jokes more than anything or brevity if someone gets knifed in the leg it's like ah you fucking stabbed me oh. it's very very passive whereas this it's it's brutal it's harsh it's horrible the the times where you see clint eastwood lying down with bandages and shit on his face and stuff it's
1: it's hard. It hits hard. The violence is, is a different level of violence or a different type of violence. Mm. And as you sort of say, it's um, it's not as smooth or streamlined or as clean as film today. Mm. And, I, and I found myself thinking as watching it, but I just don't, I mean, obviously it's a 50 year old film. but don't make films like this anymore because mm. nobody makes films like this anymore. If it's 50 years old, but mm. I saw this for the first time 25 years ago when I was in university and even 25 mm. years ago, they didn't make films like this anymore. And, uh. I don't think that's a good thing. Um, we could do with something with a little bit of a little bit of artistry, a little bit of brutality, mm-hmm. um, a little bit of realness put back into into cinema in a way that yeah. is effective as this. But again, you're dealing with some very talented people here, and you know those lightning striking moments yeah. happen very rarely. Anyway, we have our Scorpio killer. <laughs> he's killed he's, he's killed a woman he doesn't even know swimming in the uh-huh. pool in a hotel uh he sends letters to the police taunting them which i believe is um Mm -hmm. inspired by the Zodiac killer saying that he'll kill Mm -hmm. a priest or an african-american person but he uses a different word which you could Mm -hmm. use in film in 1971 um Mm -hmm. and uh that's sort of the the police um and harry sort of get on his tail at that point trying to track him down and it becomes a Mm -hmm. cat and mouse game for a while between between Harry and uh, Harry and Scorpio, as Harry mm. is the one who, who manages to sort of corner him first, and it's a shootout, which is really, really, really nicely done.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Where I was getting to was uh, Harry does track him down eventually through some fairly decent police work, as living in a um, uh, squatting almost inside a football stadium, which is yeah. Different, but an interesting, a very interesting scene for uh, uh, location for the next scene for the next chase. As Harry chases him through the tunnels at the stadium and then down the bleachers, Um, and um, as you get to, he actually manages to uh, get a shot off as he uh, his partner turns the lights on in the stadium. As the Scorpio Killer is running across the field, Harry shoots him in his leg with his uh, his forty four Magnum, which of course is the most powerful handgun in the world. Um, <laughs> apparently is not true, uh, and and uh, this is where that scene I was talking about, where he actually tortures, um, yeah. the killer at this point in, the, in the, the, the at this point in the film, the killer has taken a hostage or you know, he's taken a young girl, and he's saying he won't tell them where she is and she'll suffocate in you know twelve hours or something or other, and so he won't tell them where he is. And says, I want a lawyer. In such a, <laughs> <laughs> I have rights. Yeah, and, 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 and it's like, and, and if you couldn't have programmed things that for a guy to say that would piss off, you know, an American right winger like Clive would, you know, like if you wanted to program in the kind of things that um, that a criminal would say, the only thing you could add to it today, which would be, you know, probably more triggering for people, would be,
3: I voted for
1: Hillary. Um and yeah, that would get people fired up. Um, Great, <laughs> right, we've got bad connection again. My apologies. Maybe mm, mm, mm. i Something going on the internet with Melbourne this, in Melbourne this week? I think. I think it's it's mine because
0: it's just on a building and it's a lot of people just using
1: one network.
0: So Maybe my it.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, they maybe don't have a great connection. Maybe I should get on the NBN because I hear the NBN's great. Um, not. <laughs> um, so <sighs> the, the, to try and get the location of where this girl is, Harry basically sticks his foot on the the, the gunshot but he just put, the hole he just put in this guy's leg. And there's an absolutely yeah. incredible scene of him, as you sort of said, screeching in agony um, as the camera pans up and away from him on the football field, through this I love that shot, that shot was spine-tinglingly good. Um, yeah, it was just, and as the films, that's probably one of the best ones in the film. But it's full of those. Um, yeah, what did um, what did you make of the politics and 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 Harry's, you know, way of going about things? <sighs> This was definitely, um, comparing it to Bullet,
0: it's definitely more of a fight <clears throat> of fantasy um, and that pandering to the kind of elevated machoism that has now very much overpopulated Hollywood and all of the movies coming through. Um, this, as you said at the start, this I feel like this is one of the real ignition points for the anti-hero genre um, because in every respect there is not a single person in this movie who likes the main character they all just kind of cast him off they don't really care Um, and it's but at the same time he's also not quite terminator but he is damage resistant whereas uh, Steve McQueen's character—he was kind of <laughs> the kind of like um, shoot from the hips kind of cop, but he still, we were still very much in that ro- role of he is a police officer and he does do this. We we see him in that wonderful scene where they're just going through the lo- uh, luggage, very much kind of um, procedural cop stuff. Whereas there was not a single element of that in this it's just like okay here's a little bit and we're now going to jump to this bit you don't need to know how they got from here to there we'll just say it in a little bit of dialogue and that's it we're not going to show you the more of the meticulous nature of this and that's all that matters in this position it is much more of an action thing and i think the way that this movie is shot it highlights that with you've got these wonderful, so much of the movie is elevated. It is this helicopter view of the city. There's a real you radicality getting, to the film, isn't it? Yeah. Whereas bullet was much more ground based. And we talked about how good it was having the, the dash cams going through as they're doing those chases. Um, that was sort of like literally you're on the ground in the, in the role of a cop. That movie wanted you to be the cop um, in this you're just taking it in and you're seeing a, a grander picture. When you look at the politics of it, there was that element of antagonistic nature between the cops and the, the DA. Um, and they played with that to just heighten the tension. It's like, oh, is he in on this shit? Is he not? Whereas this, it's like, no, he's the, the, the DA, the mayor is like, okay, um, I don't really know what to think of him because he's just very, very open and willing to
1: give in to the terrorist demands. I think he's supposed to be very willing, weak-willed, spineless characters, yeah. you know, guys who yeah. refuse to stand up against crime and do what needs to be done at any price to protect people, right, which is the the archetype that Harry yeah. is. Harry is the kind of guy who's, you know, uh, we do things by the book. It's like, buy a book. um, F- FYI, in the trivia here, Arnold Schwarzenegger apparently cited Harry Callahan as one of the biggest influences on his career. And uh, Schwarzenegger said watching his movie inspired him to seek out action roles with wise cracking heroes who were a law unto himself. So, good call on the term out of front for you. Um, but that's one <laughs> of that, that, you know, that kind of, uh, you know, the, 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 ca- the character of a real person, who, of a policeman, the person who wants to protect people, who's, you know, not only does he have to contend with the criminals, but he has to have these weak-willed liberal politicians and, you know, spineless, yeah. you know, stuffed shirts standing in the way of them, you know, achieving justice for for the people um and that's absolutely such a cliche right. now but at the time mm. it was something quite new and i think that's how i interpreted interpreted not interpreted interpreted the um <laughs> Inter- the mayor and the um and and the uh, da in their sense that they're such a cliche now of you know yeah just following doing yeah, by the book
0: absolutely right it's it's kind of feels like that vibe of um the government won't do what needs to be done so it's johnny america who needs to stand up and get his hands dirty and do the right thing and yeah fuck it there's a girl who may or may not be alive so i'm gonna break into this place and catch the bad guy because i know that it's fucking him and fuck the law and it's like okay i get that that's your focus but at the same time it's kind of frustrating because it's like all right there's you're really celebrating vigilanteism.
1: That's exactly, very
0: much so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just a bizarre kind of choice to make. I get why, because every single thing in this movie is angled to really make you love the bastard that is Dirty Harry. Every single thing, every person, all of the p- other cops, all of the people in, the, in City Hall, the bad guy, everyone is laser-focused. To make sure you are on Harry's side so he can get away with doing the, the fucked up shit that he does. It's,
1: um, it, it, you're right. It's, it's, it's surgically prepared to basically mm. put you on side with the, the guy who's a, a fascist vigilante, basically. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, uh, and they do it very, very well. Um, yeah. And you've got to wonder sometimes if, um, if this kind of thing, films like this, actually influenced the kind of opinion. In, in a general populace, especially somewhere like the United States, where you know, maybe to a lesser degree places like here. But you know, places like you know LA where you have the cops are yeah. super famous for being yeah. assholes who beat the shit out of you if you're yeah. lucky. <laughs> if you're not lucky, you know, if you're black, I'd always say, well, you know, shoot first and ask questions later. I mean that's not LA, that's a whole country, right? Yeah. Um, and you wonder if, if films like this actually influence that attitude. Of you know, uh, you know, fuck procedure get results, you know, it's like he gets results, you stupid chief. Um, <laughs> um the one part of I found uh interesting about the film or entertaining was the the uh, what would you call it, but the the, the the chase around the city where Harry is has the ransom or the, the money for the killer. Um, oh, yeah. And he's making him run around all over the city to different phone booths and answering the phone so he can you know make sure he's not being followed, which is unsuccessful mm. um yeah. th- I was like, "Wow, they one hundred percent ripped that off for die hard three like yeah, lock stock and barrel <laughs> yeah. well so much so much of it is
0: just there. like the the opening sequence. Um, for the introduction to, to Harry. It's like, oh my God, this has been parodied and reused so often. But um, I do appreciate the fact that basically all of this movie is legwork and it's all foot runs. And it, again, really, as you said before, it makes the city of San Francisco more of a character because they're running through these scenes. And like the the end sequence of him running through the active quarry and it's just all the, the way that Harry kind of gets on the conveyor belt to try and get a bit of cover, and then they're moving around and they kind of double back on each other and things like that. It's it's really really good and it feels close, and especially when the the fact that at the start of the movie it is these the Scorpio uses a sniper rifle to get his target, and then the next time we see him going after someone he's using machine gun which is a closer range and then the next time it's literally knife and then it's this this chase sequence it's all about zooming in and in and in and in and coming in on this this final moment and i think a part of that is to at the end feel an element of hope for harry when he finally chooses because he has a moment where he talks and he says i don't i don't know why i keep doing this and then him throwing his badge into the lake. It's like, okay, that was very, very well done overall for for a narrative way of kind of literally zooming in on the story that they want to throughout the movie.
3: It was great. Uh,
1: You can watch this film again and again and again, by the way. I mean, I'm going to try to put the politics aside and say it's a great piece of art. Mm -hmm. Um, The music, as I said earlier, is incredible. Um, the cinematography is, is priceless I mean this we talked about a couple of scenes. The other one that was always really memorable to me was um at the end of a film uh in the f- spoilers for a 50 year old film um <laughs> Scorpio <laughs> takes a school bus full of children hostage mm. um, I feel like they did that in another film as well um and um he that's sorry it's a reference to um zodiac killer um zodiac threatened to do it but he didn't um and uh so he's trying to drive these kids in the bus to the airport and um there's a scene where they come around the corner and they have a shot from a bus's perspective of an upcoming bridge and just standing on the bridge by himself just by standing there is harry just sort of standing there, almost like an avenging angel and you can see Mm -hmm. the terror across scorpio's face as he's trying to yeah get it to turn around or go too fast or jump to the other side of the bridge and just mm-hmm. the scene of it, this looming figure on top of a bridge is just i don 't know understand exactly why it 's so good, but it 's amazing and feels it's, it's, with- it's
0: iconic,
1: yeah, and I it almost feel like dread like you almost for a second almost um i feel like uh, associate with with the killer a little bit and you're like you yeah, know that 's a terrifying thing for him to see is that his nemesis is on um, you know, basically tracked him down. Who's stalking his prey? Um, yeah. it, it's beautifully shot, um, and the film is full of these little t- treats. And mm-hmm. um, you know, you don't need to be Roger Ebert to 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 actually enjoy them. I think as a as yeah. a whole production, these little things mm-hmm. add up to a. It just looks different. It feels different. said mm-hmm. the violence feels different. Um, the acting, the politics—it's just. It comes together as a as a really juicy little package mm-hmm. of um uh if you're a film historian, you know, if you like to know where your films come from, how do yeah. we why do they make police films like they make them today? See this. Um it's yeah, just it's a good, a- good action story, see this. In fact, I would suggest mm-hmm. seeing the whole whole all of the Dirty Harry films, they're all quite good. Mm. But um yeah, it's it's
0: wonderful. Really, really wonderful. I hadn't watched it before and this was just really saying and I was really impressed with like I, I mentioned the use of sound in um bullet and kind of simulating it a little bit to um uh, Chris Nolan's <laughs> bizarre yeah. choices in Tenet this it still has some of those kind of older audio connections where techniques haven't been refined or stuff, but it does a better job of actually utilising a lot of those noises. Um, it uses a lot more silence for sequences. Like you, you at least I felt like I was holding my breath when <laughs> Zodiac was just drifting the focus around, even when he's not got the gun and he's just kind of scoping things out for his second kill. Just the the way that he just kind of really reduced the noise down to bare minimum. You just hear him kind of panicked breathing as he's kind of trying to find his, um,
1: his target. It's like, they're doing really good things here. <laughs> I wonder if this film would be a little bit more controversial today because, in a way, a couple of times we get in the head of that serial killer. A couple of times. This is yeah. a film from his perspective. The scene you're talking about where he's stalking his second kill mm. um, ar- around a park, uh, which fortunately is interrupted, is is really fascinating. And you just don't see that very often in in film. When yeah. have you seen a film which actually pops you inside the head of the killer for mm. five, for five minutes? Doesn't yeah. happen. Yeah, if if that's all, it's extraordinarily
0: rare because most of the time it's like, oh no, we won't, don't want you to empathise with the bad guy. No, don't be silly. But that can make for really really interesting stuff. You think about. How they got you onto kind of both sides with a movie like Heat with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino's characters it's when done well, it is so good, and it really invigorates the audience and invests more in the story because you by the time you have that final showdown of just those two, which is the iconic storytelling device it you feel really invested and you can't really do that if you're only
1: telling one side of the story, unless it's a sort of like yay for Earth kind of thing. <laughs> I think I'd say it's giving us both sides of a story in a way. I, it's like what I think is interesting about the scene where we, we sit inside the killer's head is mm. it actually ratchets up the tension for us as the audience. Mm. It's scary. It kind of more terrifying, but he's about to shoot this poor guy in a park eating his ice cream um, innocently on a sunny day. And so we're not necessarily, I'm not sure I'd call it empathizing with him because we never learn anything about him. It should be noted in this film. He isn't given a name. He has, we we learn nothing about his motives at all. Interestingly, Andrew Robinson, apparently who I should note, doesn't get enough. I mean, he's not a big name, but he should be given a lot of credit for why this film works. He was a brilliant choice. He really is maniacal um, Mm -hmm. and and a fantastic. And he's trying
3: to be intelligent
1: as well. In fant- exactly. Well, he, he actually hires someone to beat the shit out of him to discredit yeah. Harry Callahan later in the film. But he's he's, he's really terrifying as the killer in this mm-hmm. film. Um, but I don't empathise with him in, those, in that moment. Like I said, when we see Harry in the bridge, I'm not sure I'm empathising with him. But, I, but you, for that moment, you feel kind of his terror, uh, his mm. fear. But I don't know if it's the same thing as I'm empathising with him for feeling fear. That's and one. the scene where he's, he's, he's tracking his prey in the park, I'm mm. not sure – or in the first kill uh, at the start of the movie, I'm not sure we're with movements. It's actually a little bit like being in the body of the, of, of the slasher in, in, a, in a slasher movie, mm. and it's actually quite terrifying. And, and again, not a, a, a narrative device you see used all that mm. often. If, if we're forgetting one, jump in the chat, tell us what it is. Yeah. Jump on the Facebook page, tell us, hey, you've forgotten about Blah, I do that all the time in that particular thing that you haven't forgot thought about. Um but it's um it, it, it's it's a hundred percent original. It's taken the good stuff out of bullet and it's turned those things up to eleven. Mm, uh, I'm yeah. I'm also very glad that you avoided doing a car chase in this because well, you know, two car chases, you know, in, in San Francisco within a few years, it would have been a big cliche.
0: Yeah, yeah um but you know in in spite of that they still do some really excellent stuff and um even just little bits like the like uh, apparently Clint Eastwood directed the the suicide jumper sequence and just him just getting in that little cherry picker and going up and just dragging it down it's like, it was really again it highlighted part of the the, the character of the city it Built you more more information about the character, and particularly with that scene, the use of dark and light, with the spotlights on the building, on the spotlights on the action. They use light really well throughout the whole movie, like um, you know when they're they're first trying to um, capture uh, Scorpio and he's like got Chico there and so like don't turn the light on until I tell you and they highlight and they spotlight him and then you have this moment and then again where he's being chased across the football stadium and the, the lights just flood the stadium they use light and dark really really well really I'm, I'm just I've got a yeah. I've got a big
1: touch on this movie <laughs> it's- Look, I mean uh, I cheated it because I've seen it a few times. I studied I mean I studied this for cinema studies at university. It gives mm-hmm. you an idea the kind of um esteem it's held in that academics mm-hmm. use this film to teach. Um and uh I, I'm not a, I'm not sure, I'm glad I chose it. Really, I think is a nice book and companion piece to bullet. Um so. al- we could almost chart the, the evolution of police films through yeah. these two films. Um yeah. you know, a, a action films, period, really kind of owe a great debt to to both of these films. Um, And, you know, if you're an upcoming young filmmaker who wants to learn how to make action films, you could do a lot worse than than watching these and and just ripping them off, frankly. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) As they say, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Um, (laughs) And and as I always say, if you're going to rip somebody off, make it someone good. Absolutely right,
0: 100%.
1: But now the ball uh, is back in my court. You've got the keys.
0: Yeah. So I am. I teased it before, and I couldn't couldn't go past it because it's a great opportunity. I haven't watched this movie since probably about nineteen ninety eight, and that is we're
1: following Joseph Summer to Strange Days. Oh, okay. So it's um. Uh, That's been big. It on? Long. Catherine Bigelow, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good film. Uh, Joseph
3: yeah,
0: Fiennes, right? Sorry. Huh? Fines? Fines. Yes. Yeah. Fines, Joseph Fiennes? Yeah. A former cop turned street hustler accidentally uncovers a conspiracy in Los Angeles in
1: 1999. Um, That's not saying so much, is it? <laughs> <laughs> one of those it's, little, it's, you know, a, a Korean family opens a farm. You
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> But it's written by James Cameron, directed by Catherine Bigelow. We've got Ralph Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Juliet Lewis, Tom Sizemore, Michael. Vincent Wimbach, D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio, yeah. Um, William Fichtner, Joseph Summer is our connection. It's got quite a cast. I don't know where you're going to go from here.
1: It's it's very limited. William <laughs> William Fichtner is one of those guys who's just in everything. Like yeah, he you he know. Is. And I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, let me just have a quick look here. Uh, if he's where I think he's from. Um, no, he's not. I thought he was the guy in Ghost.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. No, that's... Um, fuck,
1: somebody I can't else. remember his name. It's head. Yeah, somebody else, though. now, well. You, you dropped bullet then, because I might have gone there.
0: I watched Ghost not too long ago. And I feel like you could easily do a modern-day remake of that.
1: Tony Goldwyn was the guy in Ghost. William Ficknavo, yeah. He's just one of those guys who keeps popping up. In, in was he in it's The Dark Knight? Nice. He was, a, he was a, the back manager in The Dark Knight, I think. Yes, yes he was. Yes, he was. Uh, He's turned uh, up in a lot of um, Michael Bay movies as well. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> we won't be watching them. Uh, I, I haven't seen Strange Days for a very, very, very long time. I remember quite liking it.
0: Yeah, me too. So that's that's why I want to see if it stands the test of time. And it would be good to go back because I don't really remember it. So hopefully we're in for a bit of a treat
1: again. Wait a well, it, it, it all, it's all uphill from Death Machine, right?
0: <laughs> yes, you fucker. <laughs> now, um, do you want to talk a little bit about Masters of the
1: Universe before we have a word from our sponsors? I think that's a good idea. Um, so, there's been a bit of controversy about this this week. Uh-huh.
3: Uh-huh. My
1: um, my uh, you know YouTube people I watch occasionally has been blowing up um, this week. It was the Masters of the Universe I'm trying to think of how it. Is. It's
3: Masters the, of Kevin the, the Smith revelation.
1: produced. Yes. Um, this, is, this is this is Kevin Smith was the showrunner. Mm -hmm. Um, story editor, Uh, I think he wrote some of the episodes. Mm -hmm. I I should note I only watched the first episode because I really wanted to dip my toe into it because um, I just wanted to see what it was all about and Kev's been pumping it. Um, Now, Mm a bit of background, I grew up, I don't know about you, I grew up watching He-Man when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I had the action figures. I had Mm -hmm. Castle Grayskull. So did I. Desperately, desperately wanted Snake Mountain. Um, I knew someone who had Snake Mountain. Lucky bastard. <laughs> um, but I, when I was a kid, I, I we lived in the town for a little while called Armadale, which is in northern New South Wales.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and notable for one reason, it's a big university there, and it's fucking cold. That's two reasons. But anyway, um, anyway, TV back in this is in the eighties. TV didn't start until about you know, midday or something on, on the weekends. Mm. And I would have to wait until midday for He-Man. I would be basically there from 6 in the morning waiting for He-Man. Um, mm. I loved He-Man. But I think it's one of those shows that um, when you go back and review it, they put it out in DVD in the early 2000s. And I think I bought my brother the He-Man and Shira Christmas special. It's a joke for Christmas once. And <laughs> we watched it on Christmas <laughs> afternoon, as you do. And I was like, ooh, this is...
2: This is pretty anything shitty. That you
0: put, anything you put Christmas special on, I, you can already smell it on it,
1: <laughs> pretty much. Um, and it wasn't just the Christmas stuff, but like, and you go back and watch some of the other stuff, you're like, "Oh wow, the animation's really shitty.
3: Mm-hmm. The stories
1: are really cheesy and lame." And um, oh god, no. Yeah. Um, so yeah. fair to say, I that phase of my life has been well and truly left in my very young years, I've been very surprised to find how big of a fan community there still is for He-Man stuff. Like it's oh, yeah. a big community of people who are still big mm-hmm. fans of it and not just like, ha ah, this funny cheesy show I used to watch when I was a, a kid. People give a shit yeah. about this and they yeah. are fucking furious about yeah. what Kevin's done with Revelation.
0: It's really interesting looking at that sort of stuff because, um, Uh, Netflix who created the show um, also revitalized She-Ra a couple of years ago and She-Ra has become actually a very very successful alternative unusual take on it um, where they have really embraced like LGBTQI um, community and it's been brought into the story and it's uh, quite a radical change from certainly what I first think of when I think of She-Ra and so I think they um, were trying to kind of capture lightning in a bottle a little bit with this and try and get, uh, get He-Man really big and relevant. And, you know, you get Kevin Smith involved and he is possibly the world's most famous geek and he loves this, uh, this sort of stuff. This is from his era. This is the sort of stuff that you could imagine Dante Talking ravenously about in clerks of some in some form or another, um, and so it kind of feels like it should have been a success. But I've watched all of this season, and there's something not quite right about it. I can't quite
1: work it out. I got to be honest. I watched the first episode. I kind of liked it. I I liked it. I didn't think it was anything wrong with it.
3: There's nothing I thought bad it was, about it. and I thought it was awesome. actually a
1: really, I thought it was a Sorry, really brilliant idea to set up some tension for, I think it's what, a six-episode six, six episode run in the first season? Six uh, or seven? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Um, and I felt like there was a real I, – I, I, and I, I might even go back and watch the rest of it, um, hmm. which is something because I had zero intention of watching this until all the controversy landed, and I kind of thought, I need to check it out and and um and uh make up my own mind so basically episode 1 involves mm. uh, Skeletor pulling a huge of Skeletor shit now voiced by the one the only the greatest of all time Mark Hamill um and it's a very recognizable voice though isn't it it's a bit strange yeah i think that this
0: is um exhibit a that mark hamill
1: should no longer be doing voices of bad guys
3: I enjoyed, it. I
1: enjoyed it because it's like, what's, I know it's Mark Hamill, but I still yeah. like him.
2: It's, no,
0: he's incredibly likable. But at the same time, like especially when like this this rendition of Skeletor is a bit more manic. And it's like, oh, this is just dancing a little too close to Mark Hamill Joker for me. You know, they're they're very different characters. They're very different ideas. So, oh, come on, try and do something a little different. I love him. He's fantastic at doing bad guys, and I love his voice, but I think he's done bad guys too many times, and now it's just recycling a little bit.
1: Um, and he's pulling his usual skeletal shit, trying to take over Castle Greyskull, manages to get basically get in the front door, is uh, assaulting the Sorceress, um, and basically forces He-Man to come in, and they go, go toe-to-toe, Mm-hmm. Skeletor has almost won the battle and unlocked secret shit, for the card of Castle Grayskull. Um, and essentially, the, the, to cut it down to a... Sorry, I should have put a spoiler alert on. So, but I'm about to give away a pretty big plot point. Spoilers. 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 This is only a week old, so I really shouldn't. Um, but, I mean, the fact that Skeletor is doing Skeletor shit is probably not a spoiler. Um, <laughs> so you've been warned. He-Man yep. is basically forced to sacrifice himself to prevent um, Skeletor from winning and gaining control of, you know, Castle Grayskull secrets, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And the, I think a real controversy here, and, and you can tell me a little bit more about this with the further episodes, is that it sets up the show to follow Teela after that. Teela leads, I think, a small band of warriors Mm-hmm. And, and it's set up to basically make Teela much more of a central character than yes. perhaps she was in the 80s cartoon, which has upset a lot of people.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So the, the thing that I think a lot of people were,
0: it's the preconceived notions. They've heard, oh, He-Man's coming back. The clue is in the title of this series, though. It's not He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. It is just Masters of the Universe. This is not a story about He-Man and people are going to be pissed with that. It would be like having, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it later on, but having Ghostbusters movie come out and it not actually be about Ghostbusters. Um, there's, There's a lot of preconceived notions that come with a title. And I think if people actually just get over themselves and admit that, What happens at the end of episode one, I won't go into full, I won't go into details just in case anyone is very sensitive to that stuff, but it is a brave narrative choice that they go on. It's like, okay, yep, this is going to happen,
1: and everything else is going to
0: revolve around
1: Around that moment. And I think you're 100% right. I mean, I haven't watched the rest of the series, so I'll just put that there Mm. again. But I thought that was a really brave, excellent choice because Mm. part of the dullness of the original show is, He-Man's OP. (laughs) He basically is the thing we complain about with Superman. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing with with He-Man. Like he can't be defeated, right? Uh, He's too strong. He's way stronger than He-Man. He's He's always got some sort of trick up his sleeve. It means he can't be beaten. So Mm -hmm. what better way to have uh, set off the tension in your series than Mm -hmm. basically remove him from... The equation. It's a little bit yeah. like what they did with Justice League in a way, right? If you've yeah. done Justice League right from the start, um, you know, <laughs> you remove Superman dies at the end of Batman v Superman for whatever reason. When I mean, you start out Justice mm-hmm. League, the most powerful member of the group is off the table. Yeah. And, you know, then in, oh, a, in, in, a, better world, in a better world, you know, as powerful as Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Batman and co. are, you feel some genuine tension that maybe they're not capable of being insert bad guy here when you have, you know, shitty Steppenwolf and, you know, you do what you did. Um, that didn't really <laughs> work out. But, but the idea made sense, right? What, but you don't, if you've got a super yes. group with Superman in there, are like, who's going to be Superman? You're just going to take some effort to so take him exactly. off the table. You can put him back in later, which I assume this show does.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's, I think that's the thing that a lot of people are doing is they're, you know, it's it's the same thing that we we see it with the the ratings of all of these shows. Like this, this when the, the first Mandalorian season one episode one got launched, everyone fucking loved it because it it's like, oh, it's a return to classic Star Wars stars, and everyone just there were people just reviewing it and doing all these breakdowns and stuff before watching the rest of it. So regardless of what was going to happen for the rest of it, they had made up their mind. This is fucking amazing, and that is where I'm going to stand, and I'm going to scream about it. And you get the same thing when it's people finding out, oh, this isn't what I wanted. Not this is what I've got. And is that any good? It's not. it's not what I ordered. So take it away. And um, because there are some really interesting story um, elements that they do, and it is brave because it does in in a lot of ways. Like the thing that I really appreciate for Star Wars: The Last Jedi. That he Ryan Johnson tried to do new things with the characters and put them into new scenarios and change things a little bit. He didn't succeed because there was no overarching story. We've gone into that ad nauseum for the for the later trilogy. But I appreciate putting those established characters in unusual circumstances, and that is what Kevin Smith has done with this. He has taken characters out that are OP or that are overused and gone. Okay, you know what? Let's follow a story here, and Evelyn gets a really good story arc throughout this as well. And I was sort of like, "This is great." These characters, which I remember collecting the figures for, I've actually got more investment. I understand more about who they are and what they're going for, and where they're driving for. It's, it's good. It actually evolves the world, and so hopefully, it's a success that they can continue in the next season. Mm and keep telling this overall story because throughout the whole of season one, it feels like this is telling its unique story in season one, but it keeps giving a lot of nice little nods of this could be a thing in the future. This could be a thing in the future. And it just continues to build the world.
1: Fantastic. Great narrative storytelling. Um, I think the other part that's got people pissed is that Kevin. Kevin Lied, the Kevin Lied um, little is what I've seen a few times. Um, and that's background. Uh, about a year ago, somebody on Twitter said, oh, apparently the Kevin Smith T-Man show is going to be mainly about Teela. She's going to be the main mm. character, not about He-Man. Um, and Kevin said, that he basically, he, he, went out, he, he went out of his way to retweet the guy and said, no, that's not how it is. Basically that's bullshit. Um uh, mm. and now the people look at the show and they are interpreting that healer is the main character. And mm. they uh, the other part, the sub level of being pissed off is the fact that like well Kev said this wasn't gonna be how it is and this is how it is, so you know, mm. Kevin lied. Um, uh, I am, um, yeah, I I found this like I said, I, I found it I thought animation's great by the way it looks really really yes. good um it
0: re- as as this is measured as a sequel to the original series
1: it fits visually it's perfect it's not as crappy as the last one but it looks similar <laughs> enough um, yeah <laughs> and, and but i just you know i've been want to complain before about you know things going woke um, and i try mm-hmm. i do i got to try and stop to use that word quite so much but there, there is an element in, um, in in Hollywood today of really pushing that angle, right? Like representation, and mm-hmm. I, I, I've said it ad nauseum as well. I agree, representation matters. And for, you know, mm-hmm. I years I've been screaming for a female-led superhero film. I, I thought it was mm-hmm. great to have Black Panther. I mean, yeah, I understand Black why movies. I'm asking. Um, well, but I mean, Black Panther from a representation perspective oh, yes. of being an African American superhero. I will, yes. And I remember you and I had this conversation after we saw Wonder Woman was, it's very, very easy for people like us to forget that everybody I grew up watching on the screen looked like me.
3: Mm.
1: Everywhere, uh, you know, people come up to me in the street and go, you Harrison Ford? I'm like,
3: um,
1: <laughs> you, know, you, you know, but they were white, they were male, uh, heterosexuals. Western, you know, they all look like us. You know, yeah. Indiana Jones, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker. You know, all of it. Rambo, Rocky. They all basically look mm. like you and me. So very, very easy for people like me to go. What do you need? What does it matter if you have a female superhero or a black superhero or an Asian superhero? It doesn't mm. really matter. Everybody, every human, right? You can associate. It's just we cannot possibly understand why that matters so much to someone. Who's a little girl, for example, you know, mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden she's got Black Widow or she's got uh, you know, Captain Marvel or she's got Wonder Woman on the screen. Mm-hmm. She can go to the movies as a five year old and all of a sudden there are people on the screen who look like her. Um, if you're an African American mm-hmm. kid or, a, or oh. people, you know, if you're an Asian kid, you know, you can now you're Shang-Chi very, very soon. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I would prefer that these films were done a little bit more, a bit more artistic merit mm-hmm. rather than yep. just you know, shoving it in there in a really classless, you know, obvious,
3: mm-hmm. tacky
1: way. I think mm-hmm. kind of, it, it kind of cheapens the whole thing and it mm-hmm. makes it easier to criticise when you do something like Captain Marvel where your politics is crammed in
3: mm-hmm. in
1: such an ugly way. So I just want to – people are out there thinking I'm like these douchebags who are, who are dissing Kevin Smith because all of a sudden there's a woman in their He-Man, um, hmm. you know, I, I would very much like to dissociate myself from them. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I feel like this was actually a really intelligent and interesting angle to take on the show. Um, yeah. And, you know, just because – I think there's a lot of misogyny at play here. Mm, there, there genuinely
0: is, and I mean, maybe it's to be expected when the the main character of Masters of the Universe is literally He-Man, and it's celebrating muscly He-Man and always lambasting. The Adam side of the persona—it's um, all about that machoism and
1: sort of like being the best that you can possibly be, and unstoppable, and being—you know, there's something. If anyone actually saw the Dolph mm-hmm. Lundgren in '87 Mass Effect Universe film, there's something very homoerotic about him, man. As well, you yes. know, big, muscly, oiled men in like leather G strings. I mean, it's a bit <laughs> like you know the um, the Mad Max Two we talked about. Yeah, but we, you know the. <laughs> the fetish people have taken over the apocalypse, they've also taken over a here, apparently. Hey, it's it's heaven, baby. <laughs> it's uh, so know, much in, heaven. <laughs> no disrespect, if that's what you're into. Like absolutely go for it. You, you mean like I, I think there's um I've talked before about Cinema Fiasco, which is a Melbourne mm. comedy movie night where one of the hosts uses very obviously it makes no bombs about the fact that he is gay and mm. he made gay jokes all the way through Masters of the Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was glorious and hilarious at the same time. <laughs> um, so I just find it very strange that grown men are getting so angsty about uh, a cartoon about you know a, a, a potential gay icon uh, in, in He-Man. Um, <laughs> just uh, I just don't know why people get so cranky about these things. Um, for me, at least, the first episode I felt. Now, again, I, I, so I just gave a critique of Captain Marvel where I think if you're mm. really shoving politics in, in a really obvious way into your fantasy superhero science fiction, I think that's kind of ugly and I can see why that annoys people yeah. because it annoys me. Not that it's there, yeah. but it's done so badly. That's my argument. Yeah. And I didn't it's, feel like it was shoved in here in a bad way. I felt like it flowed fairly organically.
0: Yeah, it's entirely true. the, the character, the, the thing is, it is all character-driven. And that is the easiest, most intelligent way of incorporating that sort of stuff in. All of these characters grow. That is the key element of bringing these things in growing, changing, learning, and being better than what you were yesterday. Um, For me, none of the, literally none of the narrative uh, storytelling. Is at fault. I said before that I felt like there was something missing. I genuinely can't quantify what it is. I've maybe it's just because you it grows so much of the char- characters in um, in the world of Masters of the Universe that you don't actually realistically you don't actually get much genuinely genuine kind of chronological story development. You get a lot of character development, but it feels like okay. I've just watched through every single episode of this season and they're not short, short episodes. They're they're relatively, you know, they're meaty animated TV episode lengths and you kind of go, okay, this, this must be what it's like for all of my players in D&D where in the real world we've been playing for two years in the game, it's been two and a half weeks. The t- time dilation is really bizarre. And part of me kind of thinks okay, maybe we could have progressed the story more, but I really enjoyed the character development so much. It's like, okay, you know what? I'll give them a pass for this one because they've now set up some really interesting inter-character challenges and new relationships have been forged that I want to see developed and go forward. And it just serves to continue the story, which has always been a when you look at he-man and masters of the universe when it first came out or you look at teenage mutant ninja turtles co- uh, cartoon series or batman the animated series all of these classic cartoon shows from the 70s 80s 90s none of them had overarching stories and now we are all we have all because of so many successful tv shows that have made it big like game of thrones like um any of the long-form TV shows, like the movies that we watch now where we all want those shared universes, the MCU and all of that stuff, overarching story is the primary selling point for everything. They were just uh, selling individual episodes that have no bearing to the next one. The, people, it, the TV show was made to sell toys. Yes, Exactly. This is not trying to sell toys because that's already been established. It is trying to sell you back on what you've already fucking bought into. So if you don't like it, then you do have to question, okay, is, was this ever actually for me or did I just want action toys? In which case, cool. You don't need to fuck up something else just because it's actually trying to do something inventive.
1: Um. Uh, yeah, it's, Really, actually, opened my eyes. I have a few YouTubers I'm quite a fan of who they sometimes do interesting, interesting film reviews. But they just—I mm. feel like they can make you know that like sometimes YouTubers figure out what their algorithm gets some more views, and I mm. feel like it's just hardcore, borderline misogynistic anti-woke agenda. Um, mm. so it's disappointing. Uh, I would just say if you're interested, pay no attention to the bad reviews. Not just mm. because we're saying it's good. If you listen to us, you have a fair idea of what we like, and, you know, you can make up your own mind about whether or not you want to trust us. But it's been review-bombed to hell and back.
3: Yeah. I mean, People who are reviewing this
1: haven't even seen it, probably. Probably. And I'm looking at the, the
0: star rating on IMDb, and it's 6.5, 5.4, 5.6, 5.9, 5.8. It's all very middling, which is woefully unfair because the animation is beautiful the voice work is great and the storytelling is top notch i'm genuinely shocked that people aren't able to actually just look at it and go okay this is telling a story because it's character fucking drawn which is what we love here where this is something that we have spouted from the rooftops maybe i shouldn't be surprised but This is doing such good things. It is wonderful. And this is another feather in the cap for Netflix animation department. This is great. The Castlevania series is great. She-Ra is great. I'm looking forward to all of the other shows that are coming in the animation section because these are shows that are not for kids either. These are for adults who have grown up on these things. They're going, okay, this was popular in the seventies, eighties, nineties. We're going to modernize it and bring it forwards. And we're going to keep that a core audience. We're going to tell something good. We're going to do something interesting with it.
1: Love it. Yes, please. More of it. Thank you. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty decent effort for a show that I had zero interest in. Yeah. I I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So I think it's time Mm. for a word. From our um from our sponsor this week. Who are our
0: sponsors this week?
1: Our sponsor this week is the nineteen ninety two documentary Melbourne A Living City. Um and <laughs> I it is a, a lazy two hours, three minute watch of a nineteen ninety-two puff piece documentary about what's awesome about Melbourne. No um which I would be of very little interest to you, but for those who are old enough to remember. Um, it's quite fun. But I've chosen a choice commercial break from whoever it was who VHS this off a of telly back in the early nineties. <laughs> um, so it um, this is this has been curated this week. There we go.
3: Thank you. Derek. Diana, Princess of Wales, perhaps the most admired woman in the world now shrouded in scandal the fairy tale has ended controversial author andrew morton gives a rare insight into the
2: tragic princess will she bring down the house of windsor seven's exclusive premiere thursday 9:30. diana a portrait
3: cousins has developed the powerful performer in australian laundries the granule concentrated with nearly twice the cleaning power of regular powder we tested Super Strength Radiant Granules on impossible looking stains, and its granule power shifted them easily. Cousins developed the Super Strength Granule, and now you've made it the best selling laundry concentrate. Radiant. Monday, mm, have the dessert. Wednesday, skip the gym. Friday, Swim in champagne, but in between,
2: eat lane.
3: We I have not, not received paying. the amount owing on our last.
2: Don't touch my thing! <gasps> no.
3: Be warned! Arrest the violence, or face arrest.
2: Who are you?
1: This week and who weekly? here you go. (laughs) Nineteen ninety-two, ladies and gentlemen. There was domestic violence TV commercials on TV back then. And yes. what? A, <laughs> the and pres- expose on Princess Diana. <laughs> exactly. And lean cuisines. The idea that people ate lean cuisines for dinner. Um. only people are. The only, only one acceptable reason for eating a lean cuisine, and that is if you live work in an office where the nearest place to get something to eat is too far away without driving, <laughs> and you know you have a depressing little frozen meal you stick in a crappy microwave and eat at lunchtime. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> it's true. That's fair. Um, Where should we go to now, sir? I think you watched Jolt, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yes, I did. So, Jolt, ladies and gentlemen, is the new Amazon Prime movie. I say new. It came out this year. Uh, starring Kate Beckinsale with Jai Courtney and uh, Stanley Tucci. No, no. Uh, Stanley Tucci. Sorry and um it's a bizarre film it's one part john wick with two parts crank so for the uninitiated a bouncer with a slightly murderous anger management problem that she controls with the help of an electric uh, electrode lined vest she uses to shock herself back to normalcy whenever she gets homicidal after the first guy she's ever fallen for is murdered, she goes on a revenge fueled rampage to find the killer whilst the cops pursue her as their chief suspect. That pretty much sums it up. But this is, it's labelled on IMDb as an action thriller. And yes, it is that. But it's also a comedy. And I don't know if that's intentional or not. Kate Beckinsale is definitely upping the British ante. She's speaking as British as she could possibly get. In many ways, it kind of sounds like a female version of Hugh Grant from 1990s rom-com. But she has kind of proven her mettle to varying degrees of success as an action star. And she is this very sexy, alt-life kind of person with this anger management issue that floods, as we are told repeatedly, it floods her body with excessive amounts of cortisol which gives her um extreme strength and speed and endurance and things like that not to the point of a superhero but she can kind of break out of kind of um cable ties and things like that and just be dominant in physical activities when she needs to be um i
2: kind of enjoyed it
0: But at the same time, it feels very, 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 very cheap. And this was probably done on a really low budget in spite of it having some well-known names in it. But it's like the action sequences, the action sequences in like Kate Beckinsale's Underworld movies was infinitely better shot and looked a bit more brutal than this. Just the the streets seemed kind of strangely empty for a city that's supposed to be buzzing and this buzzing nightlife of danger around every corner sort of thing. Um, and particularly there's a bizarre car chase sequence where she takes
1: her... The, this man, the Jai Courtney's character, who's um Which is, I think is, is universally agreed as a sign of quality in Hollywood, when you Jai Courtney's in your film, right? <laughs> hey,
0: the jury. I think I feel like the jury is still strangely out on him because he was good in the Suicide Squad. He was good in Suicide Squad. He's going to he's probably still going to be good in the Suicide Squad, Um and he was in. Uh, I can't remember what what else he was in, but they were sort of like, okay, he wasn't actually bad in that. He's very, familiar, I guess, but yeah. he, he's supposed to be this, um, he's an accountant and it's like, hmm, most accountants don't really look that big and buff or certainly that's not how they're presented in Hollywood movies. Um, so instantly you kind of look at it and go, yes, yeah. probably not an accountant. Um, <laughs> But it's, you know, it keeps ticking by. It's 91 minutes and it uses that time pretty well overall. It doesn't leave you with lots of unanswered questions or anything like that. Um, it leaves the the last thing. You get a little cameo from Susan Sarandon. She's nice to see her on the screen because she's always good. Um, and it's sort of like, okay, they're definitely setting up for a sequel or building on a bigger world of this. Which I don't think there really is, but it could just be one of those dumb, schlocky action movie franchises that just so happens to have this shared universe. Maybe I don't know, um, but it's it's not bad. It's not good, but it's not bad. And considering always totally pop up on Amazon, I just thought, no, that looks like garbage. Yeah, it it kind of is, but. <laughs> it's excusa- <laughs> it's excusable garbage. Um the action is serviceable. It's you've you've seen these kind of action sequences done a lot before. The thing that really I guess drives this movie f- forwards as entertaining is Kate Beckinsale because she's actually very funny in a very straightforward way. She plays this character really quite well. She's someone that you we are introduced as a young child and she's this, there's a a narrator talking about her and how she's like, oh, she has a problem when people break the rules and she starts, she's at this birthday party and this boy next to her steals her slice of cake. And it's like, does this whole extreme zoom in on her eye that then just dilates in an unusual way. And she just slams this kid (laughs) into the cake and starts beating the shit out of him. And it's all kind of done with this level of comedy to it. And the way that she's very detached as she's doing all this action stuff it it lends this air of entertainment to it that you just can't deny that like i was talking about this car chase sequence that they've got this uh, um, McLaren f1 street car thing it's one of the fastest cars in the world and she's kind of going just revving it and she's learning relearning how to drive stick which I think is really funny considering she speaks with such a British accent and automatic cars in England. They're not the common thing. So it's like, no, okay? No, they not They're not in Europe. <laughs> yeah. So I don't quite know why she wouldn't know how to not drive stick, but okay, never mind. Um, Pay no attention
1: to these things.
0: <laughs> I can't help it. I'm British. And um, the, the action is just obviously very slow. And it's like, oh, going really fast. Mm. <laughs> it just doesn't visually it doesn't fit but what's entertaining and engaging about that is she's being followed by the cops um bobby carnival i think it is um, yes uh yeah bobby carnival is one of the cops and we've also got uh, laverne cox who um shot to fame in um orange is the new black they are chasing after, and she's, she's got her, the phone in the passenger, front passenger seat on speakerphone, and she's just having this very casual, friendly conversation with these cops. And he's just trying to, like, I'm trying to help you here. Stop it. like, I'm sorry. I've got to, I've got to kill these people. They, they destroyed the man I love, blah, blah, blah. And it's all done with this level of comedy and entertainment. It's very, very, it's hard to deny. Even throughout the whole thing, right up till the end, um, you so let's see, the big bad of the movie is played by David Bradley who most people will know from Walter Frey or um, as Argus Filch from the Harry Potter series um, I know of these people you would know him, he was in um, Hot Fuzz and he's in that sequence where they go and they investigate the guy who's got all the guns and he ends up actually having like a landmine and he's just speaking in such a an such a country accent that no one can understand him. He's like, I just got in the uh, phone.
1: So it's on World's End, which was very good. Yeah. So uh, that's the guy. Yep. I no, have yeah. no idea who he is. Yeah. But um, it's been a while since I've seen Hot Fuzz. I tried to watch it again on a weekend. Someone who knows who they are mm-hmm. did not agree to watch it. <sighs> that someone has
0: got problems. <clears throat> I, I didn't say not- that. <laughs> I did <laughs> but um, yeah so everything is actually done in the like the the actors are very clearly having fun in the scenes that they're ha- doing it's one of the, the saving graces that I find with the Coen Brothers remake of Lady Killers Tom Hanks is clearly having a lot of fun in that role the rest of the movie kind of stinks of garbage but it's undeniable it's hard to deny an actor who is just having fun and you can see them having fun with the role. And so if you've got Prime Video, it's free. It's 90 minutes. It is one that you can just watch, have in the background and just occasionally enjoy this pretty lady um, beating the shit out of people in relatively entertaining manner. She's funny in it. And the story just doesn't
1: overstay its welcome. Just
0: very enjoyable.
1: I would encourage people to remember that the person you're describing as a hot woman is funny is Kate Beckinsale, who has never made a decent film in her life.
3: Mm-hmm. So the underworld,
1: underworld films were popular for two mm-hmm. reasons: they had vampires, and she wore that outfit. End of the list. They're terrible. She That's... was in Pearl Harbor. Terrible. Van Helsing. Terrible. She's a terrible actress.
2: Yeah, it's hard to deny.
1: That's terrible, to- terrible, terrible, terrible. She was in the Aviator, but she had a very small role. Yeah, and even then, she was playing someone else who was actually real. <laughs> Kate Beckinsale and Joy Courtney. I mean, Joy's yeah. been in one film, but I, I thought was good. Yeah, and 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 I like him. He's an Aussie. I mean, he's the man behind Terminator Genesis. I mean, that, that's not, I haven't watched it. George could be right. It could be funny. I'm just just giving people. All the information, mm-hmm. to keep in mind that Dry Courtney is awful, usually mm-hmm. Kate Beckinsale is usually awful. Somehow mm-hmm. they've made this work.
0: Yeah, it's it's just entertaining. It's, it's just fun. It's like watching your friends reenact something, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's on, on Prime Video. So if you've got it, if you want to just experience it, if you don't like it after the first 15, 20 minutes, you're not going to like the rest of it because it, it knows exactly what it's trying to do. And it does that in 90 minutes.
1: Okay, there you go. There you go. I think I'm going to give one a miss.
0: You're just a terrible person. Oh, we already knew <laughs> that. It goes about <laughs> Now, what are you going to talk about?
1: Um, I uh, had an interesting yin and yang experience this week. So mm-hmm. I have been, as one might uh, realise, we talked about it a few more weeks ago, been diving into the Uther Of uh, Argentinian film Uh um, which I think is a much maligned and sadly forgotten corner of the world when it comes to film you Uh don't see a lot of it, I went to the cinema before the last lockdown and saw Heroic Losers Um, Uh and um, uh, this weekend I saw just passed, I got to see Nine Queens which was an Oscar nominated um, film I believe uh, for best foreign film if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong um, but it, it was possibly one of the more famous films this century to come out of Argentina. Mm. Uh, and Nine Queens stars uh the same, uh, the George Clooney of Argentina, Ricardo Turin, um, who I'm actually really starting to get a taste for him as an actor now. Like, he hasn't ever come to Hollywood and done anything in the West, which is a bit of a shame because he's – He's pretty fucking good. Um, (laughs) And this is a very different type of role. We talked, Heroic Losers was kind of a very broad, uh, almost Mm. an Argentinian version of a castle, you know. uh, Little man overcoming the big bad bankers, yada, yada, yada. Um, But um, this one's a very different type of film. This is a a, a heist film, if you will, or a con Mm. heist film. Um, And it came out in 2000. Uh, Early one morning, Marcos observes Juan successfully pulling off a bill-changing scam on a cashier, and then getting caught as he attempts to pull the same trick on the next shift. Marcos steps in, claiming to be a policeman, and drags Juan out of the store. Once they are back on the street, Marcos reveals himself to be a fellow swindler. With a game of much higher stakes in mind, he invites Juan to be his partner in crime. A -a once-in-a-lifetime scheme seemingly falls in their laps. An old time con man lists them to sell a fork set of extremely valuable rare stamps, the nine queens. The trick negotiations that ensue, tricky negotiations that ensue, bring into the picture a cast of suspicious characters, including Marcos's sister Valeria, the younger mm-hmm. brother Federico, and a slew of thieves, con men, and pickpockets. As deceptions mount, it becomes more and more difficult to figure out whom is conning whom. Um, that gives uh, a nice little synopsis. Um, it sounds uh, like uh, just just
0: based off of that it sounds like your typical con man movie where there's plays within plays, within plays, on top of plays, underneath plays.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, in a, but done really well. Good. So This is a film which probably isn't bringing anything new to the table in terms okay. of con films, heist films. Um, very early on I did turn to Michelle, who put me onto his film, and said, "You son of a bitch, I'm in." Um, <laughs> uh, so, it's so difficult to take high films seriously now after um, <laughs> after um, Rick and Morty. Um, but what works beautifully here is is Ricardo Darín is a truly wonderfully sleazy and oily um con man who you almost feel like you need a shower after spending a couple of hours with him on the job um he's he's utterly brilliant as 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 a as a con man trickster um mm-hmm. and he uh, pl- he plays marcos he played opposite him is gaston paul's i'm probably murdering that name i'm sorry to all of the spanish speakers both all one of you who are watching this show <laughs> Um, he's not been in anything particularly interesting that we would know here in the West. I don't think he, he was in a Che Guevara film, but had, but um, Soderbergh directed. Um, he plays oh, yeah. a very, a really, um, a really baby-faced one who is the young, yeah, the young Padawan to to Marcos's uh, Obi Wan. Um, and what I think it makes this film aside from it before, and he's wonderful, Gaston Paul as one. He he plays this wide-eyed idealistic and if he can be idealistic as a con man, one is an idealistic con man. He's doing it for the right reasons. He's doing it to raise money to get his dad out of um jail, I think, from memory. Um okay. So whereas Ricardo Darien's Marcos is just doing it because that's what he does, you know. Um that's what it you know he <laughs> why do sharks eat people? Because that's what sharks do. Uh and that that attitude really does pervade the film in a a way that perhaps a Western heist film doesn't where, you know, something like the oceans films, why does Danny Mm. rob casinos? Because the film needs Danny to rob casinos to be interesting, right? Like, I mean, maybe there's some sort of, it's been a while since I've seen the oceans films, but maybe there's some sort of underlying, well, you know, Danny's got to get a million dollars by sundown or else, you know, um, that, that you know, the He-Man he's revelations isn't to going to get be renewed. Masters of Universe revelations isn't going to be renewed for a second season or something. I don't know. Um, but he was, I can't remember what, why he doing things. but but the, I think the the undertone of this film is, and it gets there in the end, um, is that mm. this is a society where there is, the law is very much a moving feast right like it isn't set in stone like it is in the west where you know the, these are these are the goalposts right you work within these goalposts because you know those goalposts are going to be in the same position tomorrow that they were in tonight so you know you can go you can play or go straight in a way because you know that those laws are there to protect you, you know that the goalposts are not going to move overnight and You know, throw out basically destroy your hard work for you know, last however long. Argentina is Hmm. not a society like that, at least not in the early 2000s. They're coming after you know, a a, a significant period of time under a dictatorship through to the mid to late 80s. Um, during which time there was a little conflict that your country was in, your home country was involved Involved in. Having more um, problems, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry. I don't know if people can still hear me, but I will keep talking. And the options that they can still hear me. And his it, the problems are just at uh, the uh, other end of this conversation. Where um are you back? He's frozen, people. I don't think. Hopefully, I'm not frozen. I can never tell. If I'm fr- unfortunately, the chat's crashed for me, so I can't see what's going on in the chat. I
0: think I'm still recording my audio. I can hear you
1: now. Can i you yeah. back. I'm yeah, you're blurry. You're... <laughs> Sorry about all the internet troubles uh, this no, people just... it's going to be very confusing for the people listening to the podcast.
0: <laughs> I I was just talking just dumbly.
1: I've got I said <laughs> Unfortunately for me the chat has crashed because you kicked someone earlier. Which it always does for some reason. You should tell them that by the way, you never but you ever have a guest on the call, but um they're kicking some the chat crashes. Oh. Um but anyway, um I don't know if people can still think, but I was talking about but one of the, the interesting undertones of um of uh, nine queens is that world of Argentina in, in the not, in the late nineties, early two thousands one well, you can't rely on those goalposts being the same place tomorrow morning that they were today. Mm. They're constantly moving. And you can make the move if you want. If you if you never write people and you have enough money, you know, let's go post move on a quite a you know a yeah. user pays basis. So um, I think the the, the idea behind uh, Marcos' philosophy as as a con man is that um, you know, uh, but like I said, why do sharks eat people? Because that's what sharks do. And, mm. and I think, in his opinion, you need to be a shark to survive. It is a almost a you know, Hobbesian, you know, world of Artina of where life is nasty, British and short. And if you want to survive, you need to be a shark if you're going to survive swimming with sharks. Mm. Um, and, I, I mean, I, I may not be completely getting it right because, obviously, I wasn't there at the time, but that was the impression I got from watching this film. And there's some scenes in there, particularly one scene and I do not want to spoil it, Maybe I will. Because I can tell you how hard it was to watch this film. It was very, very hard to watch this film in Australia. Very, very hard. Well, Uh, I've uh, thrown up the spoilers, literally, You'd have to probably buy the DVD or we streamed it illegally. And I'm quite happy to say that because I literally couldn't fucking buy it here. Mm -hmm. If you own the rights, put it on a streaming service. Sell it to SBS. Mm Mm-hmm. Put it on YouTube. I don't give a shit. Wow. Um, and so, you know, let me watch this film. <laughs> but um, there's a scene at the end where 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 one actually has is on a train, and um, it has as a kid walking up and down the aisles of a train begging, and. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I think the idea is he gives uh, the, um, he gives, you, he gives out little cards. Like I think they're like tarot cards or something. And the idea is that you're supposed to give him a tip. Oh, and yeah. he gives out his card to one, And one the kid comes around to one to, to, to collect the money that you would normally give the kid. And he has a toy car, within which he shoplifted earlier in the film for whichever reason, and money. And he puts them both, one on each leg, and it gives the kid a choice. And he says, you can have the money, you can have the car. And there's this really wonderful little scene where the kid does his, fr- his toss-up in his head. He's not really sure which one he wants to pick. In a sense, you can kind of get this feeling that he's a small boy. Of course, he, he probably really wants the car. Mm. Um, but, you know, he goes to... In the end, he grabs the cash. Because mm-hmm. you can sort of... If you start to put it together in your head, this kid probably has people at home he has to bring his money home to. This kid mm. is probably in some way supporting his family. Um, yeah. So... Um, one's a nice guy, gets in the car anyway. Um, but I think that's, um, that scene was really quite evocative to me. Um, and it actually kind of points out some of those hard truths about Argentinian society at the time Mm. is even from that very early age, you have that sort of ingrained in you that, you know, just you need to make money to survive and you need to do what you need to do to do that. Mm. Um, quite a wonderful film uh if you are lucky enough to live somewhere where there's a, a dvd store do they still have those maybe the library still has it i don't know if it, it, maybe it'll be on tv sometime you're in an up shop you see this dvd i would love to tell you to go out and watch it but it's really hard and we had to go to a website to stream it which gave our computer aids um you know, <laughs> it had to be taken out the back and shot multiple yeah, times. Pretty much. It's, um, you know, you've you got to hang around some sketchy part, corners of the internet to get to see what it's going to do, which is really, really disappointing in this day and age. Um, with all the streaming services we have available, there's still so much stuff you just can't get your hands on. I don't understand why rights holders do this. But anyway, I, I will continue to say, well, yeah. I think I start off by saying I had a nice little bookend or a nice little yin and yang yeah. experience is that I went ahead and then watched the 2004 U.S. remake. Um, (laughs) Yes. Now, uh, ironically, uh, the 2004 remake is also incredibly difficult to watch in Australia. It's basically impossible to legally watch in Australia. Fortunately, it's on YouTube. I did not upload it to YouTube, but I did watch it on YouTube. (laughs) <laughs> um, Criminal stars John C. Riley in the role of what we saw Ricardo in Marcos' role, and mm-hmm. Diego Luna as Rodrigo playing the role of Juan with a similar type of role. And I found myself, Diego Luna, I'm like, what an interesting little career he had because he was in that Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. um, Rogue One, and I thought he was very good in Rogue One, um, mm. a film that I didn't particularly care for. Um, but I liked him very much as Cassian Andor. And I think he actually kind of, a lot of people really enjoyed him in that. And like, he's done jack shit since then. Um, really, he does a lot of voice work, some TV work, but not a whole lot in the cinema world, which is kind of strange, but he, because it was actually a reasonably successful Star Wars film. And there aren't many of those being made anymore. Um, if <laughs> 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 think of the past, <laughs> Remember when Star Wars films were successful, um, uh, the other main role here is Maggie Gillenhall playing the role of Valerie or yeah, Valeria um, the sister um, and wow it was an interesting experience when seeing I think the original on Saturday and then watching this on on Monday um, mm. it's like a photocopy of a photocopy um, mm. or do you remember I don't know if you're old enough to remember but like you ever see a, a, a videotape. That was dubbed too many times, like where it was dubbed off a dub. And someone taped something mm-hmm. off TV and then someone oh, dubbed yeah. the tape, you know, and that was kind of. Or, or you ever hired a copy of Basic Instinct and you got to that bit. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where, yeah, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> that that tape is worn out, you know. Um, Why does it go funny right here? <laughs> Um, so in this film, two kind of destroyer swindle a currency collector by sending him a counterfeit copy, selling him a counterfeit copy of an extremely rare bill. Um, now, interesting to note, this film is around about half an hour shorter, I think, than, wow. than the original nine. So in the original nine queens, is hour 54. This comes in at an hour 27, which is quite short. Um, yeah. And you, probably people in the show who quite regularly remember being very familiar with me going, it's too long Cut to cut something out of it. This is one of the very few occasions where I'm going to say, no, I think you've cut too much story out of, <laughs> of this one. It's, it's too quick. It's too short. So all those moments that were in the original Nine Queens that really built character, well, to go back to your story about your, He-Man, right? The character building mm. moments, that moment on the train where Juan is, you know, giving the kid the choice between the money and and that that's gone. That's all gone. Uh mm. so many other character building moments are gone. Um moments where, you know, you would you would ponder over a scene for a second. Something would be happening and I would spend an extra 30 seconds, an extra minute with the characters in the scene, doing mm. whatever it is they're doing. Just just drew it out a little bit more. You learned a little bit more about who they are, what's going on in their world um gone not in this wow. it's, just, it's it's rushed and it really feels rushed and i feel like instead of giving the story room to breathe like an hour 54 gives it where mm-hmm. you know it really gets the time to ratchet up attention and things to happen and you know to figure out who these people are it really has I and mean, it's it has room that's way i can describe it. it has room to breathe with this one it kind of feels like they're in a rush no 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 we've got to get to the hook got to get to the twist and come on it's it's a high film there's always a twist the whole film is hinting at it so no you shop there there's such a rush to get to the twist Mm. that they they you know it's like an 18 year old having sex for the first time they just don't know how to do it properly like it's just they just can't (laughs) hold it in so it's the the other weakness of the film i think is in a central conceit of the end of a film The central conceit of the end of Nine Queens involves the Um, which People who listen to my crap on about Heroic Losers might remember was um, a financial crisis Mm. um, at the end of 2001. Um, And it it was basically to stop a bank run. The banks were closed and, you know, you couldn't get money out and that sort of thing. Uh, I think the idea was that you can see it from Heroic Losers, you can only withdraw $100 US dollars a month or something. Oh, um, true,
2: yeah.
1: And so basically, like, the banks are all closed and you can't cash checks and get money or anything like that. That plays a very large part in the end of Nine Queens. Um, and you go, okay, that's a really interesting socio-political angle to put on full stop to put on a fairly standard heist con movie. Now, obviously, that's never happened in the U.S., or at least not recently. So um, they had to come up with something new for their end to make their end click with the actual twist in, in, in a story. And it's really lazy. Um. It's really lazy. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything. Basically, John Wright, I remember I said it's on YouTube, and I'm not really going to recommend it. So if you don't want to know anything about it, you know, it's fast forward. But basically, John C. Wright, he walks into cash a check, which he's got for the Mm fake, which is the the, the booty that they've been chasing all the way through the film. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: And he's just arrested. The police are there and they've been waiting for him or something and they arrest him and stuff. And you're like, okay, that's very convenient. I don't really understand how that happened. I don't really understand what he's – I mean, I actually can't understand that what he's done in the end is actually illegal. That's the weird angle. The actual thing he did at the end of the film was actually not illegal, really. Um questionably <laughs> illegal, like not really. Like he's robbed anyone. He's actually not sold anything fake. It's a long story, but
3: yeah, jaywalking. He
1: didn't see it. When they you it, not I mean guess like I say, American cops. Then maybe they will slam you on the ground and kind of cuff you for jaywalking. I don't know, but <laughs> um, it was just a bit. Uh, I don't know. It didn't work for me. It, it really didn't help. I mean. You know, I would like to ask you, though, can mm. you think of any American Western remakes of foreign films that you do actually think were conquerable or as good as or better than the original? Because I was struggling to come up with many. Certainly none off the top of my head. The first That's one, a... the only one I could come up with was The Birdcage. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm really. i I'm just gonna play, dude, I just. Thought, I just dumped this on him. By the way, people, um, it's very rude of me. Um, I leave yeah. it with you. But like, if you uh, listen to the podcast, if you're watching this show, um, and you can think of one and go, ah, oh, well, I thought dinner for schmucks was very good. You can just see that, see that. X at the top of the browser, and it just closes the browser. Just do that because, like, if you thought dinner for schmucks was good, yeah. <laughs> Enough said. Um, <laughs> Um, but if you can think of a remake um, that was pretty good, in your opinion, uh, drop it on the Facebook page
3: mm-hmm.
1: and let us know what your thoughts are. I mean, there could be some in there that I don't know about. The Most okay, of the so- ones, the, the, Departed, the Departed was a remake. That was pretty good.
0: Just um, The Wrap have 15 um, the highest-grossing American remakes of foreign films, from Godzilla to Departed. Uh, Number 15 was Nine Months, the Hugh Grant-Julianne Moore movie from 1995. That was Neuf Mois, a French film. Dinner for Schmucks. Uh, Eight Below was a remake of Japanese movie, Antarctica, Vanilla Sky, uh, Abra Los Hoyos, uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, same name. Uh, Italian Job, same, same. name. Um, the Upside, which is a remake of The Untouchables. Um, the American remake of The Grudge from Japan. The Birdcage, as you said. Uh, the Ring. The Departed was Infernal Affairs. Godzilla. True Lies was a That's remake a good of La, La Total.
3: Um, mm-hmm. uh, did
0: not know that was a remake. remake. Three Man and a Baby is a remake. Mm. Uh, number one is Godzilla. So, the yeah. new version from a couple of years ago? Yeah. Yeah, the 2014 mm. version. I don't think that, any of it films based too. on the gross. gross. No, it's not
1: on quality or anything like that. It's not on the definitive list or anything like that. But
0: I, go,
3: There's
1: fine. a few in there. So, The yeah. Departed, The mm-hmm. Cage. I really like True Lies. I have not seen the original French film. It's mm-hmm. kind of fascinating. Um, yeah. I might have to check that out. But uh, it's it's hard to do well. I think it's, mm. it's fair to say. Yeah. Um, really, really hard to do. And it was interesting to see them so close together. And it was mm. it was um, John C. Riley. Interesting to see him playing a very against type there. Just, you know, he tried hard. Tested I uh, didn't have a lot to work with. For a film that was written by Steven Soderbergh, Academy Award winner. Yeah. Just, uh, um, no, not so great.
0: Everyone has a flop in them. He has a few. <laughs> All right. Okay, that was uh, Nine Queens and Criminal. I'm just going to mark down the time on that one. Oh, 43. Now, before you go over to The Sound of Metal, do you mind if I quickly talk a little bit about Netflix's new trilogy of movies? By all means. Finally, part one of Fear Street. Now, this is... Um, Got a lot of attention when they released it because they released. They told you that this was going to be a a mature retelling of one of young adult horror stalwarts, R.L. Stein, um, his books, Fear Street, and they um, turned it into a trilogy of movies. And I've so far I've watched part one and half of part two. I will give more reviews of the rest next week. But Fear Street Part One's ni- uh, title, subtitle, nineteen ninety four, and it's a circle of teenage friends accidentally encounter the ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over three hundred years. Welcome to Shady Side, and there's so much of this that you just look at and you go, oh, if Netflix. Hadn't have had the success of Stranger Things, we wouldn't be seeing this because that that period piece, that young um, young people in mature in uh, scenarios, that is all here. Um, the director Lee uh, Janic, um, I haven't really seen anything of her other work. Um, she did a movie Panic for Amazon, which I'm now oh that's a tv series so i'm curious i'll be curious to check that out um oh she directed outcast but apart from that she's not really done much um but she does a really good job of keeping this engaging and there's definitely i mean obviously it's set in 1994 and if you can quickly check travis for me when was the first scream movie that would have been 1996 yeah, this feels very much in that same vein, um, especially with the opening, because we have Maya Hawke, who, as I mentioned before, in um, uh, season two of Strange Things. And she is in this straight away, and it's very reminiscent. It's almost to the point of being ripped off a little bit for the opening of Scream with Drew Barrymore's big name being killed off in the first five minutes. Um, don't care if that's a spoiler for you or not. It's five minutes into the movie. Tough shit. You can deal with it. Um, but the main story revolves around a a, a a set of five very engaging young actors. We've got um, Kiana Madeira, who plays Dina. She's the certainly the, the prime protagonist. We've got Olivia Scott Welsh, who plays Samantha. Uh, Benjamin Flores Jr. He plays uh, he's Dina's brother. There is Julia Rehold, plays Cat, and the other one that I do want to give a shout out to. Where is he? Um, Ryan Simon Simon yes. Uh, Fred Heishinger. They just twists on those stereotypical slasher movie. Um, iconic roles but they do it really well and they ingratiate as we talked about before with man uh masters of the universe more modern day social commentary like dina and samantha are in a conflicted lesbian relationship in 1994 and they're like 15 16 17 years old um around that i'm terrible at working out how old people are um but there's like in that They're working out who they are, what their sexual preferences are, that sort of stuff, and they actually have it inform the story and it's character built. It's not in there to be, oh, yes, look, gay representation. It's actually because these characters want to be whole characters and um, (laughs) the director does a good job of making them whole characters. Strange that. but it's very quintessential mid to late 90s style slasher movie, but done really well. The violence is pretty gruesome, Gr- gruesome, gruesome. Um, it ticks along really nicely at a good pace. Um, I really recommend this, actually, for anyone who's a slasher. This is not gentle horror. This is violent. I would on our old school scale, I would say this is possibly not shay friendly. Um, because it does, it does depict a lot of gruesome violence, and there are a lot of jump scares in it, and they are good jump scares as well. They are kind of tropey and kind of typical of the genre, but they don't feel tired before they arrive. So it does it does its thing well. Um, I am enjoying part two. Uh, which is, it goes back in time. This there's kind of like bookend. I think there's going to be bookends at the beginning and end of this one. And part three, just to keep main story from 1994 going. Um, but this one's set in 1978. And again, there's another um, stranger things alum, which is Sadie sink. And she played uh, Max in stranger things. But um so far, it's really good. And they're doing different things in their focus and the way that they're telling them. There's definitely that kind of the visual aesthetic of nostalgia and period piece. 1994 looks like 1994, you know. Um, but you will fucking love the soundtrack for part one. It is fucking awesome. I'm going to see if I can quickly pull up a list of the, the music because, yeah, so... One of the first songs that you get is Closer by Nine Inch Nails. Uh, Only Happy When It Rains by Garbage. Um, Fear of the Dark by Iron Maiden. Machine Head. Um, You've got Damn I Wish I Was Your Lover. Sour Times. Insane in the Brain.
1: uh, Creep. It's it's really good music. It's like, oh, I love this. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it sounds like it
0: yeah um, and it's it's all done to just inform and build the world in a very quick way and I i will tell you part one it gets on the action straight away and it keeps it going it keeps that pace going and because it's loose more or less a, a chase sequence throughout the whole thing and it just does it really well so I'm really enjoying part two and I am looking forward to part three which goes even further back into uh, in the chronology of time going back to 1666 and I hope that we get more of this stuff because
1: so far I'm very much enjoying it Good stuff I mean are you a second person to recommend it to me No, mm, it's, it's so just really do done well Good to see We all like a good slasher film and there are very very few good ones made these days Yeah I was going to have a quick, uh, before we finish, one of the last things we're going to talk about. And before, after this, i will just like your quick impressions on uh, Ghostbusters Art of Life. So mm-hmm. people tune in for our Ghostbusters rants. That's what they mm-hmm. To keep the people what they want. But before <laughs> we do that, I wanted to talk about the Sound of Metal or Sound of Metal, Sound which is available uh, to stream on Amazon Prime. So mm-hmm. uh, let say if you have an Amazon Prime membership and you're tossing up between Jolt and something good, I would say Sound of Metal. Very different experiences. If you're looking for something light and fluffy, but I do not imagine this is not what you would be wanting to watch. Yeah. What is it about, I hear you think? A heavy metal drummer's life is thrown into the free fall when he begins to lose his hearing. It's a very simple synopsis for a wonderful film. Mm-hmm. So the film stars Riz Ahmed um, as uh, Ruben Stone. Now, Riz Ahmed, some of you will be familiar with. He is also oh, Sorry? Four lions. Four lions, which is mm-hmm. if you haven't seen four lions, just, just go and see it. It's so funny. He was in Nightcrawler. He was in Rogue mm-hmm. One as well. Ru- or if mm-hmm. you're a little bit uh disliked, let's get Rouge one. Uh <laughs> he was also he played... the one of the main bad guys in Venom. Was he? I I've yeah. completely blacked that film out of my memory. I how little <laughs> I care about it. Uh he was also in Dead Set, the Charlie Brooker. Zombie series uh, in The Big Brother House. If you want to go way back, uh, he plays Ruben Stone. Uh, Olivia <coughs> Cook plays his girlfriend uh, Lou, and a singer in the band. For anything I remember Olivia Cook from, she was the the per- love interest uh, um, Artemis in uh, <laughs> in Ready Player One, um, and uh, she's quite goodness. And that's probably your your stars in this film. No. But, but we the other person I wanted to mention here is Paul Racy, who plays Joe.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Fucking brilliant in this film. Um, so he, they are a two-piece noise metal band. He's a drummer. They travel around together. They live in basically an, uh, like a, a bus type thing, like a like a what an RV, I think Americans call them. Um, and that's their actually, they live in there. That's their recording studio. They're mm-hmm. so, it's a small time, not exactly like you know, they're not Metallica or anything. They're a small time struggling sort of band. Um, mm-hmm. And after a show, like. Ruben starts. So it says he starts to lose his hearing. He tries to make it through another show, but um, uh, you know he, he can't actually. His hearing gives out again. He goes to see his doctor, and they're like, you know, you're going deaf, and there's basically nothing you can do about it. Short of mm-hmm. you know, you don't have a real option for you here. It's only going to get worse the more you expose yourself to loud noises. Being your Career is loud noises. That's going to be troublesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the only thing I can start talking about doing at some point in the re- is is a cochlear implant to try and recover some of that hearing. But being in America, that's forty to eighty grand, and it ain't covered by any of the insurance. But they that pathetic insurance mm-hmm. that you need to get out of there. So he's basically up shit creek.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, just to add a twist on that, is he's also a recovering heroin addict. Mm. Uh, he's four years clean, but his girlfriend uh, Lou is concerned that this is going to sort of propel him back into those bad habits as a way of coping mm. with it, coping with the situation in the sense that he's, 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 his life, his life's mm. purpose is now, he's not pay, capable of, of, of living that life anymore. He's, everything he's worked towards is basically now off the table. Um and to deal with that situation, he his sponsor, his um A N A, you know Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous, whoever his sponsor hooks him up with a clean a sober house for deaf people um out in the country, which is run by Joe, played by Paul Racy. Um and um, Ruben goes and lives there for a while as a, as a way of sort of coping with the initial shock and, you know, uh, of, of basically going deaf, um, mm-hmm. despite the fact he hasn't fully accepted that as his fate yet. Um, and he goes to, you know, starts to learn things about, you know, how to do ASL in his sign language and, you know, how to mm-hmm. get by with, with his, his situation the way it is. Um, I don't want to give too much more away from the plot, and I just want us to get to the point where we can talk about Joe. Just Paul Racy, as the the head of the Sober House, is just mind blowing. His performance is mm. insanely good. Riz Ahmed is fucking incredible in his film. He was nominated mm. for a Best Actor uh, Academy Award this year, and I think it's fair to say most people would consider this year a fairly thin year of, mm. um, of um, uh. You know, in terms of, um, uh, you know, films that are up for, not a lot of a, AAA titles, you know, that were coming out this year. A lot of stuff got nominated that
3: yeah. you know,
1: would have probably a little bit smaller. Do you remember who won Best Actor this year? I don't.
0: I'm just going to but- have a look and see if I can find out because I can't remember.
1: It's fair. Um, I, I mean, like it's not like he was up against a Joaquin Phoenix for, for Joker, which I thought was it's almost a transcendent performance by Joaquin in that film. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know who he lost to this year. But I, I know we talked. That's to him uh, okay. True yeah, enough. I haven't seen. I haven't seen Fart- the Father, So fair play to Anthony. Maybe he was really, really good in it. But that was Oscar bait. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think. I- oh, old man playing old man. With a disability, you know, like that's uh, that's Oscar fodder there. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we talked a while ago about um, Minari, I think it's Minari, the it Stephen mm-hmm. Ewan performance, and he was incredible in that as well. So two two really strong performances here. And I think it's maybe a, 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 the upside of the fact that it was a weaker year for Oscars in the sense that not a lot of stuff came out. Mm-hmm. Was the performances like this were recognised. Because mm. it, it, I, think it, I don't know if it came out, terms I think it was a streaming only release. I just I just saw it. made just over half a million dollars at of box office. So maybe it was released somewhere. I don't know if it was released in the states, but for mm. a largely a streaming release, um, it's it's wonderful that it, it actually got recognised um, to the point where it actually got. It did win two Oscars. Um, mm. But it, it, but Riz Ahmed is is wonderful in this. Olivia Cook's fine. She mm-hmm. isn't fairness to her, it's not her fault. She's not given a lot to do in this film. Um and I do believe Olivia Cook came in like with two weeks' notice. I think Dakota Fanning was the original casting choice, but she dropped out. Um so respect to her for um mm-hmm. uh, for that. Where I think the other part of this film really stands out is sound. Mm. I don't think I think it would have killed the sound design Oscar, but we still have the best sound, Oscar, which is what this one won, and mm. it would have been an absolute fucking walkover. Mm a walkover because what this film does so effectively is um it pops you into the lot, the experience of someone going through what what reuben is going through mm-hmm. so we experience that that the sound being taken away from his life you know that going to everything being reduced to a dull murmur around him and mm-hmm. then it will when it flips to another character's perspective we'll get a sound back again and it's like it's it's like night and day. It's like the like light cutting through the darkness when the sound comes back again. Um, and I don't want to spoil it because this one is very easy to see. It's on Amazon Prime, like I said. Mm. But there is an experience that Ruben has later in the film where, again, the film gives you a, 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 a Ruben's ear point of view mm. of, of what he's going through. And it's revelatory and it's... Did leave me with some questions um, around, did this really make sense? Um, but uh, it's the sound just really, really puts you in the character shoes and it's incredibly effective. And it yeah. really made me think, made me want to go and get my hearing checked is what it did. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to go up like that. I don't know if there's anything we can do about it, but it was, and it. I guess on a deeper level, it's, it's not just about the actual, story as it is played out on the screen of someone losing their hearing and you know doesn't that suck and you know deaf people uh have a perfectly normal and livable life and you know they don't actually see themselves as handicapped
2: mm. quite
3: often
1: um that whole thing's going on but underneath the surfaces there's something else going on There, i think it's really a story about um someone confronting their someone who's refusing to move forward because they keep looking backwards that makes
2: sense.
1: You know, he's so focused on what he's lost. He can't see any, he he just can't see that he's he's still got a clear way forward uh, Mm. out of the situation. And, you know, um, I think the character doesn't really ever start to to move on with his life in any way until he stops looking back at what he's lost, Mm. Um, which is a very, very easy thing to say, I guess, for, you know, someone over here who, you know, life's purpose hasn't been sucked. Ripped away from him by a cruel health event. Mm. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's a lot going on there, a lot to be said for, for that side of it, of, of someone who, you know, you're not a complete failure just because you tried something and it didn't go the way you wanted. And especially if that, what, that mm. what caused it to not go the way you wanted was completely outside your control. I feel like I'm doing a fairly poor job of explaining it, but these are all the sort of ideas that were going through my head while I was watching it. And I think that says a lot about how high quality this film is that, mm. you know, I found myself really ruminating on it for a couple of days afterwards. And I've recommended it to a couple of people already. If they can, I don't know if anyone ever listens to my recommendations.
2: <laughs> I would say the answer
1: is probably no. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, it was, it was a really, really moving film. And, um, hmm but not in an inspiration porn kind of way. Um, uh, you talked about the untouchables earlier. I think you mentioned it with one of the American remakes, uh, inspiration porn. Um, but it's really, this one's down in the weeds and dirty. These like, uh, people living of real life shit.
0: I started watching it and I got about 15 minutes in and already the way that it's shot, the performances, everything is very gritty. It is very down and dirty, as you say. And it, the way that it made me feel watching it was somewhat reminiscent to Requiem for a Dream, where it's like I love that movie. That is an unequivocable classic. It's a masterpiece, but it's not one that you just sit back and say,
1: "Like, yeah, let's just watch this." You're not going to kick it's... back on a Saturday night, right, and go, mm. "Wow, well, it's been a hard week." You know, I'm going to have mm. a glass of wine and watch a yeah. movie about someone who went yeah. deaf and his life purpose disappeared. It's
0: confronting. But, in a very, very important way, I think
1: uh, there's a lot going on here you you I would pay you do, you would have to be in the right mood to mm. watch it i mm. I split it up over I think three different watching periods to make mm. sure i get, get, mm. as mm. as you know um I was tired or whatever, and I just wasn't getting the most out of it but uh, I'm really, really glad I gave it a go it's um yeah. Just in case you're put off by the idea of being about heavy metal, it's not about heavy metal. Really, there's very, very little loud music involved um, just because it's about something <laughs> in the metal band. It's not, you don't have to worry about being subjected to hours of you know, screaming loud music if that's not what you're into. Um, mm. Highly recommend this one. This is a this was well-deserved, all the recognition it got.
2: Good.
0: Now, should we end
1: with our thoughts on the new trailer? <laughs> yes. I watched it this morning, and mm-hmm. you probably would have seen my Facebook post, which was kind of like, uh maybe I don't know. I'm not filled with a great deal of confidence. I'm
0: I still I still love Finn Wolfhart. I think he's um a very talented young man. I think that this movie is has got some good talent attached. But Ghostbusters the Paul Fige version really did a number on just chucking bad shit down and i'm going to very much reserve judgment it looks good it's nice the fact that they seem to have more organic nods to the the original movies than anything that we've seen previously um i am a little concerned that they kind of like, there's there's little bits in the teaser, like the the very end of the trailer, you clearly have Dan Aykroyd's voice on the end of yeah. the line, it's like, okay. You don't need to have the actors in there. You like the the first teaser trailer, there's like little bits of audio that got peppered in, or there's a, in the pictures. It was nice that they kind of go online and, with our sponsors it would be funny to actually run the ghostbusters commercial as a sponsor one day but um you know that was i feel like that might have been all they needed for that literal hook connection to it but i'm reserving judgment because so far they've not stepped out of line it's just they've not really done anything to make you go, okay, this is a good movie in and of its own right, not because it's trading on a beloved
1: name. I, I think um, you're right. I think, again, I know some people who actually quite liked the 2016 version. We won't go over mm-hmm. again. Um, <laughs> it's been done to this. Um, <laughs> but I wonder if you're right that Paul Farge assaulted the earth, you know, that, that nothing will grow there again. Now, after the colossal shit show... That was that mm. film, um, mm. and then even aside from the shit show that the film was, the shit storm that accompanied it—you know, um, yeah—did you know, that did that kind of destroy uh, any goodwill that the the property had? Yeah, um, we'll see. I like you, uh, like some of the personnel. I'm a big, 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 big fan of Jason Wright.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, unlike you, I liked Juno. I uh, know you don't know how you feel about um, what's her name the yeah, writer. Um, mm-hmm. and I loved Thank You For Smoking. I mm-hmm. loved Up In The Air Now. In fairness, they were all 11 years ago. I even really liked Young Adult, which had, nobody else liked, apparently. Um, <laughs> So I'm a big, big fan of, of, of Jason Reitman and what he does, and the fact that he's Ivan Reitman's son who directed the original, mm-hmm. this all bodes well. You know, what I feel a little bit more concerned about is... The vibe of the film feels very kid-friendly, um, and but I'm checking here. The original Ghostbusters had a PG rating. Uh-huh. You know, Ghostbusters Afterlife has a PG rating as well, but I felt like there was a little bit of edge to the original Ghostbusters films. There's know? a difference.
0: There's a difference in what was in a PG movie back then, because yeah. you know, I, I is you know steven spielberg has done a great many things in his career one of the things that i do not forgive him for is the pg-13 rating he was one of the big proponents of pushing that forwards and it nullified um a lot of things that you would see in a 15 rated movie versus a pg rated movie and you now get this weird bizarre thing like in a pg-13 rated movie you can say the word fuck as long as you highlight it and say exactly how many times it is used, if it is used less than five, five or less, I think, you can get a PG 13 rating. Otherwise it goes, bumps up to a 15 and it's like, okay, why? I, I remember watching, um, I can't remember. I think it was a, a Kirsten Dunst com- um, rom-com. And there's this bit where one of the 13 year old kids in it is just, it's the one and only time they use fuck in the movie, but they, they turn to Kirsten and say, you, no one fucks with my family. It's like, whoa, you've basically not sworn throughout this whole movie and you're doing that. Why? What purpose? PG-13, that's the reason. Fucking kick it out. Sorry, bye-bye.
1: <laughs> Rant <Ramp> over. So <laughs> I feel like this film feels really kid-friendly and the fact that it's got a child cast, um, mm-hmm. It's about the grandchildren of Ghostbusters. Not a terrible angle for it to take, I suppose. Mm-hmm. It feels like I'm going to get the, you know, Cartoon Central, the Cartoon Network version of Ghostbusters, which, don't get me wrong, I used to love a real Ghostbusters cartoon, but the great mm-hmm. thing about the film was it was a little bit spooky. It was a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. It had a horror edge to the original. Mm. And I'm not saying I just want another 1984 Ghostbusters. I absolutely I'm mm-hmm. down for, if you think you can do something new and interesting for property, go for it. But I yes. think the formula has been established about what you need to do. It is comedic. It is a bit scary. You mm-hmm. know, it's a little bit, you know, some of the shit that Bill Murray said, you know, he like, oh, wouldn't get away with that today. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's a kind of flavor you should be going for. If you want to mm-hmm. make a kids film, you want to make a family movie. I would argue my opinion, and it's just mine, but maybe mm. Ghostbusters is the right place for that. But anyway, um, uh, I'm, I'm basing this all off, you know, two minutes. It just feels kid-friendly. Mm. I mean, it, uh, it feels contrived. Like, oh, I moved to a small town and then all of a sudden, Harold Ramis owned a giant fucking mansion. I assume it's Harold Ramis. Uh, you, know, is. Iguon, you know, the only
3: Ghostbuster who's dead.
1: Who's dead. <laughs> and, you know, all of a sudden, um, what's the name, Zevi? um The, the uh, for, for receptionist Janine yes. is, is there yeah. saying oh you know he had lots of secrets or whatever it was um, and um, again and that kind of feeds the angle I think you were feeling about there when you mentioned I liked Ray's mention at the end like because obviously he was in his bookshop and that's like it's mm-hmm. going to be Ray's occult books is going to be the, um, the angle on that but it's like did we really need Janine here? I don't know mm-hmm. I don't know I mean I don't, I don't want to come across as being a complete curmudgeon, which everybody knows that I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't like anything. T-shirts it just, are coming. <laughs> it just doesn't, I mean, it, it, it doesn't fill me with a great deal of confidence. And um, For me,
0: I think, you know, the 2016 Ghostbusters was such a bad taste. Um, I think the only way is up at this
2: point.
1: I think you're right, but isn't that going to be? It's going it's to succeed by the two most beautiful words in the English language. Default. You yeah, know, uh, it's going to people are going to come out and go, "Oh, this is fucking great," because it's not the 2016 version.
2: Yeah,
1: um, it could still be a a really lousy film and still be better than that.
0: Yeah, um, so I think it's going to be a move up, but whether it's legitimately a good move. I still have hope because like we've both attested the talent behind it is strong. They've got a heritage of quality. Um the actors in it are good and I I'm not so scared about the kid focus cast purely because of um a lot of stuff like Fear Street for example where it is a young cast but it is very adult um storytelling. And it's. I think that we're in an age now where there are more kind of mature stories being told with young, uh, with young protagonists. Like you think, think of um, if you ever watch *Ang the Last Airbender*. It's the fact these fucking thirteen, fourteen, fifteen-year-old kids trying to save the world. And yes, it's a lot of fun and silliness, and it's a cartoon, and it's definitely focused on. Um, those sort of like the younger audience but there's that that Pixar magic of engaging on older levels and I, I like to believe that that is kind of the new thing that we are going into now because of the success of things like Stranger Things where those more mature themes are being dealt with by younger people and it's like it's a bit of a, a comment on society because kids are growing up so quick these
1: days. I, and, I would argue the exact opposite, though. I think that, that, that films with young people that have treated them far more seriously 30 years ago than they do today, I think, I feel like it's, it's significantly more limited about what you can expose a young person to, a younger character to in a film today than you could in the 80s. Like, the shit you did to kids in the 80s, you could absolutely not do today. Like, I can't like agree with that. I can't like agree it, with that. I think it, it, it's a different it's a, focus. And, and I don't think using a cartoon it can mm. argue that Hollywood will do that. I mean, I, I, I've never watched um, The Last Airbender, um, but I, I know it's highly rated. But that's Japanese, isn't it? No. Is it Asian at all or is it American?
0: No, it's American. Yeah.
1: Um, Nickelodeon. I Maybe cartoons can get away with it, but I think an actual cinema, a piece of cinema, whereas you said it earlier, right? This is a film that was PG rated in the 80s. Like, I got taken to see this by my mum and I was seven.
2: Um,
1: absolutely not okay today, right? Um, so I think that um, kids have um, a, a, lot more, a lot more mollycoddled in a lot of ways today. And that's not a criticism against young people. Like, no. It's not their fault. No. um i just i just feel like it, you you're a lot more limited about what you can do to a young person in a film today but you just you know it, I think because the of-
0: focus has shifted like there there was a lot more gore and violence for kids like you look at home alone prime example kevin mcallister's a fucking psychopath and it is violent beyond compare but it is an out and out kids favorite um whereas he, the, the, the movies that we're getting now, it's not the violence and the kind of subjected to vicious activity. It is more of a social commentary of things and more of that kind of adult responsibility that is now something that goes on. There is with um, something like Home Alone, even with, um, I, I'd say, the closest simile that we could have is maybe like Gremlins the character of billy he's a young man um kind of working and he's trying to make a living and things like that and that was quite often um a lot of the the focus of it is these kind of on the poorer side of society um, people struggling and taking up a second job and things like that to do but beyond that struggle it wasn't the struggle of sexuality or um, displaced parenthood and things like that. It, that wasn't the focus. It was th- you are going to, we're going to crank automatically crank up the tension of something because this young person, this innocent person is in the da- literally dangerous scenario. It's now kind of gone a bit more of the psychological side, I think.
1: Uh, potentially, I guess we'll have to agree to disagree on that one. I, I feel like yeah. we're you're living in a society where kids are very much told to know your place <laughs> um and maybe that's for the best. You know, maybe they shouldn't be watching gory, scary films. Um, yeah. um I, I just I just know what Hollywood do with children and yeah. and if they try and turn this into a theory, dark yeah. statement. If they try and oh, just ask Brian Singer. Oh I went there. Um <laughs> I went there, ladies and gentlemen. Um that's
0: a good point to end the show on. as well, yeah.
1: May as well. I'm happy <laughs> by the way. If people, I'm happy I am going to Ghostbusters Afterlife with a fucking open mind like I did with 2016. We went in there, we we went in with an open mind, and we said, Everybody says this is shit. I think it's going to be shit. I think the trailer sucks. We Mm -hmm. went in with an open mind and said, Prove me wrong, Mr. Faggy. And we were not proven wrong. I Mm -hmm. will go and walk proudly into Afterlife the day it opens and go, I 100% want to be proven wrong by Jason Reitman. I want him to knock my bloody socks off and. Make some more Ghostbusters films after this. Just saying, not filled with a lot of confidence. So, bars pretty low for you, mate.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, that has been our show, episode one hundred and twenty of Armchair Producers. We had our chain movie of the week, Dirty Harry. We're following Joseph Summer from that onto the Catherine Bigelow directed Strange Days next week. Um, We talked about. Uh, some general comments on Masters of the Universe from Netflix and Kevin Smith. Um, we had our sponsors. It's very important that we still are talking about fucking Princess Diana. <laughs> um, I talked about um, Prime Video's Jolt. Um, talked Travis talked about the, the yin and yang of Nine Queens slash Criminal. Um, I talked about Fear Street on Netflix. We talked about sound of metal and I'll just finished up with afterlife trailer for ghostbusters. So the, the robust two hours, 20 minutes. So hopefully yeah. you slept well listening to the show this week. <laughs> Thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next week. Please don't forget to subscribe on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, um, share our links. We really appreciate it. We want to hear more from you. We don't hear enough from you guys. So get in those comment section, send us messages.
2: Um, but until next time, good night. Good night.